We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. But let's be frank, you, you never wanted my friendship. But uh, now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder. Money. They ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. If you'd come to me in friendship, then the scum that wound your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they will fear you. Hello and welcome. Another edition of Final Review on today's show. What better way to dedicate the penultimate episode of season one than to celebrate the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest films of all time. Leave the gun, take the cannolis, avoid all toll booths, and prepare for a final review of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. How was that? Was that like the worst you've ever heard or up there for the worst you've ever heard? Could I, could I, could I book a role in House of Gucci? Was, I was going to say it's Gucci-esque. Jared Leto Gucci-esque. would be proud. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good. Boop. There you go. Uh, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which 11, is too low. That's laughably 11 nom- too low. Yeah, 11 nominations, three wins, one declined award, one revoked nomination, uh, and adjusting for inflation, uh, $722 million at the box office, which was $291 million in 1972. We are here for a pretty, pretty momentous occasion. The 50th anniversary of The Godfather was two weeks ago. The release of The Godfather was two weeks ago. And for the penultimate episode of season one, as you heard in the worst Don Corleone, uh, uh, Don Vito Corleone impersonation ever, probably. Uh, We're going to be talking about The Godfather. Um, Oz, um, have you ever taken sides against the family? <laughs> uh, dude, this movie's the best. Yes. Holy crap. It's just and, so good. And it's like, 
I always go to you with like your theater. Have you ever seen The Godfather in a theater when they like do the re-releases? Have you ever gone back to do that? I actually haven't. I'm really bummed that I missed it for this most recent re-release in the last couple of weeks. I mm-hmm. I need to do that someday. It's I have like a list of like the ten movies that I feel like I need to see in a theater, and Godfather is on it. But I've actually never seen it in a theater. Yeah, me neither. And normally the way I go with this question is your first theater experience. The question I want to ask this time is like, is The Godfather the first movie you were introduced to? Like the idea of movies and and I, I, whether it be kids movies i guess would be uh, for me obviously that's gonna be the first ones i was introduced to but i'm wondering with your advanced film knowledge and how early this season one has shown like was the godfather the first thing you were introduced to as far as like cinema is concerned in the scorsese definition of cinema i'm mm-hmm. not actually sure the godfather was i think the first time i watched it is it, my dad had a lot of vhs tapes of, of things like the godfather and and i think that i understood generally maybe even from references on the simpsons uh mm-hmm. what the movie was and that it was something important and i can recall one day i i got home from school and i took the it was a two VHS double box set um, and watched it for the first time that way. And I I must have been trying to think which I I can recall what room I was sitting in, which means I would have necessarily been probably about 10 because of when we moved to that house, 10 or 11 years old, when I first saw it. And it was something that because I'm a weirdo and was a strange child, decided I'm going to watch the Godfather by myself on like a Tuesday afternoon after school. Uh, so that was my, my first Godfather experience, but I, I don't, I don't have a particular recall of, you know, my mom sitting me down and saying, you need mm-hmm. to watch the Coppola movie or anything along those lines. I just think um, it was so culturally assimilated. It's come up uh, with movies for you before. I think Silence of the Lambs just the other week that it was a movie that you, you understood almost entirely from yeah. pop culture reference before you actually saw it. And I think I had that experience as you know a middle schooler as one does. Well, it's, it's funny. I want to say it was during the pandemic that I actually sat down and like consciously went out of my way to put all three on at the same time. I'd obviously seen all three. And I, I say, obviously to anybody that has never seen the Godfather trilogy, just like, Take the day, do the homework, and it, it it will enrich your life. I'm even saying three so you can see like what it's like when someone goes back to the well, maybe one too many times on their original story. Um, I found it fascinating watching it as an adult, but like consciously that it's not just like, oh, it's a holiday. There's a God for the marathon on this movie channel. I'm going to just jump in at any point and watch it for an hour. Um, I'm not sure how much Italian you have in your life or what families you have that are Italian. I'm I'm lost after Vafunculo is about all the. Gotcha. So I have Italian in my life, not directly in my lineage, but like I have cousins that are are Italian. And you go over for a holiday, what's playing? But The Godfather and you, to be honest, and Godfather Part Two, even. And it's, it's interesting to talk about this movie 
in the sense of like one of the greatest movies of all time. And yet I'm worried our scores might reflect that it isn't because its sequel is also pretty freaking great as well. I will say, and like there's the show coming out on Paramount in a couple of weeks, a couple, a month or two. When is it Oz? I, a prequel show about the, the Godfather. I'm I'm under embargo, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But even the release date, you can't say when it's oh, coming I, out. I don't. Um, I think it's coming out in like May 18th or okay. something like that. Um, April 28th. April 28th. So like in a couple of weeks, there's this this prequel show coming out on Paramount Plus that's going to kind of lead to the 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 creation of the Godfather and the the troubling productions and uh, trouble in production and doing the research for this. I it's, it's a lot. There are a lot of stories like this where there's a lot of bad buzz and it's not like now where we hear that, Oh, Morbius is going to be bad. And then it shows up and it's bad, but the, the, so many things could have gone wrong and this movie isn't what it is. And those things didn't happen and they end up with what we get, which is one of the greatest movies ever. That's not a top five we're doing. And I, I figured we could actually have the conversation now in the Pantheon, like not necessarily for our show to consider, but is this the greatest movie of all time? And I rem- remember what I'm saying. Greatest. So like I've made the greatness versus best distinction, maybe not what you consider the best, but as far as like accomplished, um, like like uh, uh, impact and everything that comes with greatness, like does the Godfather rank number one? It's also kayfabe, the the sort of okay. upholding of the fiction of the industry and everything. And I, I think when you you encompass kayfabe, I, I think it is. I think it's it's the right answer. I think everyone looks to the seventies as the greatest decade of American cinema. This is also, I should say, a very American-centric answer to this because I, I think that folks would lean in a lot of different directions if we look outside the U.S., but at least for the Hollywood system, I think mm-hmm. The Godfather is basically, give or take a, a Casablanca or something like that, it is probably the greatest movie of all time, even if it's not necessarily my number one um, ever. It, its greatness is is pretty much unassailable. And I, I'll say it, it's interesting too, and it's a topic that I, you know, I think will come up later, but how it speaks to the way our, our tastes have changed and perhaps fallen off a cliff as a culture, that <laughs> this is a movie of a vast, immense popularity that did MCU, Coppola's throwing up on himself, box office, in the seventies uh, and and for years and years of people coming back to it, I, I cannot count the number of times I I've, you know, flicked on an hour of it here or there on cable as I was growing up. I cannot, I've, I've seen the, the, the horrible version that puts it in chronological order, which screws mm. up the pacing badly. Uh, it's just something that is so integral to the life of anyone who loves American film that I, I think it, it does have to take the number one spot. How about for you? I thought a lot about Jaws when I wrote this question down because I I don't want to turn this into I, I, I'm sorry to those listeners that don't follow basketball, but that's literally what I do for a living is follow basketball. So I I have to relate it back to like comparing the all time greats there. I want to say that like the Godfather's Bill Russell, that where you put 
when you put like the accomplishments up on up against anybody else's, it's like it's unassailable, regardless of the competition at the time. And there probably weren't that many great movies coming out at the same time. Like the Godfather has 11 rings in 13 years. So if you were to make the the comp there, it's one of the original greats and probably got us to understand what greatness was, what dominance was. And as a result, like Jaws might be Michael Jordan coming along later and getting us to popularize, you know, I guess it's the Jordan to Jaws comparison is probably off because Jaws comes out three years later. I was going to say more. The industry is so much the same. Right. Right. So like maybe something in the nineties that came out that we can, Michael Jordan is before sunrise. That's what I'll give you. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Happy belated birthday. My point is like, I may enjoy watching Jaws more than The Godfather. I recognize what The Godfather and its greatness looks like. You know what I'm saying? So that that's more where I go in that direction. You know, I, I wanted to this. This is a good segue to a topic that I wanted to talk about, which yeah, is our, our, our broken attention spans as mm. viewers and the idea that I, I mean, look, the power of the dog is is not. I don't want to fight about if it's great or not, or if it's Coda should win or anything along those lines. It's not a complicated movie. It is. Mm. A, if you go by the standards of a '70s movie, it is like down the middle. If you turn off your cell phone for two hours and pay attention, you're going to know exactly what's happening. Everyone who said I was confused by what was happening in the last act, you were fucking confused because you were on your goddamn cell phone or you were like making a snack for part of the movie. It is abundantly clear it just uses the visual language of cinema to express things instead of exclusively laying out to you oh wow that's the peter parker from another universe in case you weren't paying attention that is in fact the peter parker from another universe we've gotten so dumb and lazy as a culture that something with the complexity of power of the dog is now like dunked on by what should be better like late night hosts like trevor noah talking about how power of the dog is like mm, vegetables. Yeah. Fuck off, dude. Like watch a real art movie and then see what vegetables are. I watched a movie called uh, you won't be alone. It's a good movie. That is fucking be- vegetables. It's like fucking Terrence Malick does horror sort of thing. Vegetables. It's rewarding. If you put the work in vegetables, <laughs> power of the dog is like fun. There's funny moments. There's amusing stuff in there. There's exciting scenes. There's big acting. It's the same thing here. It's a very similar tonal Movie, obviously, they're dealing with different themes and and all that, but it speaks to just like the degradation of our ability to engage with art in any sort of competent or cogent way. It speaks to our inability to be challenged as a culture, and it's it's really upsetting. Like, I wanted Coda to win because Coda moved me, but like, holy shit, Coda is is like a down the middle, very easy movie. So is Power of the Dog, and we're treating like licorice pizza, like it's some experimental, like Italian new wave cinema, and that is fucking crazy. So, uh, you know, I just think The Godfather and going back to it gives a little perspective in the ways that we used to be better. And I know I'm like a fucking eighty year old man as I say this, but I don't care. It's true. We used to engage with things at a more competent level, and I, I don't know what's happened. I don't blame. Marvel for taking advantage of it. I don't blame Marvel for doing it better than anybody else. Everyone wishes they had their own MCU. I, I just, I, I, I guess I blame cell phones. I blame the internet. I blame lazy people getting to spout their opinion off on Twitter as though it is 
as valuable as those who actually, you know, learn and educate themselves about things. It's it's appalling to me that this used to be the norm, this sort of cinema. And now it's like, oh, no, end of day is something that makes me think a little bit in my three hours of movie watching. Well done. I very much enjoyed that rant. I will say and push back a little bit, please. When the Godfather part four comes out and (laughs) Fredo opens up a portal. And I guess at this point, um, so let's let's say Michael opens up a portal (laughs) and both Vito's walk through like the both the De Niro and the the Brando version walk through two different portals and you it'll get be a them zombie this- CGI Brando, right? Yeah. And they've already done that once. That Superman, will blow so. your mind and it'll make billions of dollars. Us. <laughs> I will, you know, I will say <laughs> I was deeply amused that Francis Ford Coppola spent four and a half hours chatting movies with James Gunn the other yeah, day. What was and, that? And James Gunn was Instagramming <laughs> about it. And all I could hope is that this is leading to Marvel Comics presents Francis Ford Coppola's the Kingpin. I just think that would be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But um Oh God! Yeah. It's just so, it, this movie's so good, and it's yeah. it's not it's not difficult. It's just amazing in every little scene. And I'm sure today people would be like, "Oh my God, the abusive husbands or the dismissiveness of women or whatever else." It would be some sort of scandal. And for the love of God, that shit is so tiring. This is greatness. This is as good as it fucking gets. And the it's funny we didn't talk about the that we would that you would even bring this part up. I had a like, would this movie be as successful if it came out like right now? Not a chance. Not a chance. And it's like, there's not like nothing blows up. There's no, like there's a car car blows up. My point is this, but like, that's a scene. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I thought a lot about the Irishman, how that, was met with it's too long and there were pockets people of, made fucking twitter episode right, the, things to break it up because they're so lazy yeah yeah that's i thought a lot about how like this is a near three hour movie that has no like stakes as far as like the universe is at stake and it really just requires your attention for two and a half hours oh, look i did the same thing going into this where I, I literally put my phone on do not disturb and I did it from like the middle of the night. It was one of those things where I was editing and I just got done, but I was awake. You know, my sleep schedule and how it's, non- it's even worse than mine, <laughs> right? Like non-existent of a schedule actually is. It's like, Oh, I'm awake. I can go do things. Um, and I started part one and was like, okay, I'm in and I'm, I'll stay for as long as I can, but I'm going to try and, and pull it off. And lo and behold, three 30 in the morning rolls around and I'm still watching the Godfather. Uh, yeah, this is, for its time, like which is why I think I went to the 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 comparing old school basketball players because I just like my brain is broken trying to compare Bill Russell to like today's NBA because of the competition level that Bill Russell played against and The Godfather. As we talk about 1972, there was a different taste when it came to movies, so it literally stood out amongst the other ones. You know what I'm saying? Although, as the Academy Awards is going to show. There was another version of movie that people were really into and rewarded a lot more. I want to push back on that in one way, which is that I think if you want to look at the Bill Russell, sort of the old greatness that doesn't quite 
age up in a way that I think is in conversation the same way. I think, look, to, to non-basketball listeners here, the notion mm-hmm. is that Bill Russell was the greatest player in an old era of basketball. Yeah, and that 19s. His, yeah, exactly. That his skills would not necessarily work if you were to put him in a time machine and put him in the 1990s. That he would not be the sort of dominant force that he was in his day. And I think that that applies more to films from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I think that is where Casablanca falls on the sliding scale of things. I think Casablanca rocks. I think Citizen Kane is great. But there are sort of fundamental things about the way those movies are made that is off-putting to modern audiences. They don't feel the same in pacing. They don't feel the same in editing. The camera doesn't move in the same way. There's just a lot of stuff that sort of alienates what we've been conditioned to expect. My argument is that The Godfather is Jordan and it is the great. It brought everything into into the modern era. And sure, we may quibble about the fact that, you know, Jordan is built like a child next to, I don't know, Giannis or something like that. But we feel comfortable as basketball fans saying that Jordan played enough of the modern version of basketball to say that he's the best of all time, including modernity. And I think that's where the Godfather falls on the spectrum. It is the the best of the best era, the sort of mainstream breakthrough era of of American film across the globe. And I, I think that that's really where it works. And then the movies you're looking at later, either the from the like Spielbergian popcorn side, and frankly, I think Raiders has a better case than than Jaws in a lot of ways. Um, or even later stuff to the nineties, that's where you're getting into your LeBrons or your Giannis's or whoever you want to throw into the into the conversation as the iterative RJ next, Barrett. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and good good fellows is Kobe Bryant, this analogy. Mm-hmm. But um <laughs> Uh, yeah, Christoph Porzingis is yeah. <laughs> uh, Morbius. So, oh god. <laughs> so, um, look, I, I think I get where you're going with the analogy, but I think it, no, I think it understates I, yeah. the the way Coppola makes this movie and how influential it is on great movies to follow. Not to to fully talk out the analogy. If you dropped Michael Jordan in any era, I think he would dominate. If you released The Godfather for the first time. Maybe not now because of attention spans like you went off on, but I think there would be an acknowledgement that it is great. You know, like I, I think it would still put up numbers and the greatness would be recognized is the point. Um, yeah. OK, so my so Bill Russell is Citizen Kane and yeah. Um, OK, who's Carl Malone? Deliverance? Uh, Annie Hall. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> I am leaving that in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com bluewire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. You spend time with your family? Sure I do. Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. You look terrible. I should eat. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's gonna give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. Some trivia for you. <laughs> is this gonna be... I'm, am I gonna be able to stump you on trivia here? I feel like this is one of the well most studied movies ever. It's. I'll say it's not a It's not a backstory one for me. It's not oh, one where okay, I, wow. I, I've... I've, I've I, I have perhaps learned from uh, other TV shows that are under embargo a little here. Um, I'm not a I'm not a Godfather trivia expert. OK, well, I'll start here. And there's way more in like the production and leading up that'll come throughout the categories that I'll get into. But AFI, the American Film Institute, uh, ranks the Godfather second. Uh, it's the second greatest film in American cinema behind what? Uh, oh, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is number one. Correct. Um, let's play some true or false. OK, uh, the studio and this is all about Paramount and the meddling that they tried to do with this movie. Um, they wanted to set the film in present day instead of 1945 to 1955. So present day being the 19 late early 1970s. That's perfect. That's sure. That's true. Yes, that is a I, true. Like true I, or false? I, be, I believe that's true. OK, that is true. Um, the studio originally wanted to scrap the now iconic puppet strings logo from Mario Puzo's name with Mario Puzo, who wrote the book that this movie is adapted from. Also, the script was an adapted from um, Mario Puzo's name above the title and movie, above the title for the movie's release, meaning that the puppet strings and then the puppet like stake the stick that controls, the, you know, the cross that controls all the puppets. Yeah. This is true, by the way, that they wanted to basically, <laughs> of course they did. Yeah. like they, they wanted the, to completely differentiate the book from the movie. And you have, know, have you probably have you, been a bad call? Have you read the book? I have not, but I've ordered it. It's along with I, Jurassic park. The things I, I want to read this summer. I would say that there's, there's good reason to, Suggest oh, that some distancing really? between the book and the uh, and the movie is is worthwhile. Okay, looks, looks fine. It's just not. Uh, look, the Godfather movie is arguably the greatest movie ever made. The book is not not the not greatest book that, ever. Not written. at that. Okay. Level, no. <laughs> uh, dissatisfied with early rushes, Paramount considered replacing Francis Ford Coppola with Martin Scorsese. No, with Ilya Scorsese Co- was on the list. Well, okay, they, probably. Okay, okay, but yeah. the exact. One that they went to was Ilya Kazan. Okay, I, I don't know if I'm saying that name wrong. Yeah, but yeah, it's fine. With the hope that Kazan would be able to work with the notoriously difficult Marlon Brando. Yeah, they're besties from on the waterfront and streetcar. Yes. yes, that is that is true. They they were very close. Brando announced that he would quit the film if Coppola was fired, and the studio backed down. Yeah, 
Mar- Marlon Brando, by the way, a lot, a lot of history yeah, digging into his past. That's a like a lot of good things he did and think good things he stood for. Also, no, notoriously difficult to work with is absolutely yeah. the, the take here. Um, and then last but not least, uh, true or false, Paramount didn't want to cast Al Pacino because he was too short. I mean, just the nature of this makes me say true. And he's five four. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, he's a, he's a wee fellow. Yeah, like, like, do you know how short five four is? It's it's very small. Like, like, a, Lo- it's like Logan's a- what? Like five <laughs> one. Every time like, I see him, he's like getting bigger. Logan's like I don't know three feet tall, <laughs> and so he's like already half as big as Pacino. <laughs> Yeah, this is true, by the way, which will come up later in some of the casting. And the other trivia I have, um, how many of Coppola's relatives are in the film? Oh, my God. All of them. So many. <laughs> Give me a ball- ballpark. Uh, over under four. I'm going to go with like seven. There's six. Very close. Oh, okay. All right. So his sister, Talia Shire, who then goes on to star in, as Adrian in the Rocky movies, portrayed Connie Corleone uh, throughout the saga, his mother. Um, uh, no, portrayed Con- Connie Corleone. His mother, Italia Coppola, served as an extra in the restaurant meeting. His father, Carmine Coppola, was the piano player in the mattress sequence. Uh, and he composed music. Um, his sons, Giancarlo Coppola and Roman Coppola, uh, can be seen as extras in the scene where Sonny beats up Carlo and he is beat at the funeral. And his daughter, Sophia Coppola, uh, is the baby Ma- Michael Rizzi in the baptism. So she was three weeks old at the time of shooting that that sequence at the end with the christening. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's six. Listen, if I... You're you're big on this, where like as you rise, the rising tide lifts all boats, and as like opportunities show up for you, you're like pulling people onto. You're Mike Ruzioni pulling people onto the <laughs> the gold medal stage up with you. <laughs> like apparently, Francis Ford Coppola also recognizing I got to put all my entire family in this. I mean, who I know there are like guild rules against that today, but who gives a shit? Like yeah, you need yeah. some people who look very Italian to play parts, background parts in this movie. Why not give those, especially like non-speaking roles to your family? If you want to have your own kid on set for a day, shucks, like great. Well, this is baby. This isn't trivia, but like one of the main focuses in casting and the idea for this movie was like there are entirely too many gangster films or Italian movies like this about the mafia that have no Italians in them. And they wanted to go the direction of authentically Italian. And that's why you get the cast that you get. Robert De Niro was originally given the part of Pauly Gatto. And then he backed out and obviously gets the Don Vito character in, in Godfather part two. It's why heat has like so much of, much extra on it that it's like Michael talking to his father in the past in that diner scene. And yeah, like that's why those two have been notorious throughout history is like playing the most iconic gangsters. It feels like, you know, hey, look, there's a, there's really some interplay with Coppola's interests and Scorsese's interests as well in French new wave and then Italian new wave cinema that influences how these come about. And I think there is a, an element of, cultural fidelity that's important to both of them. You see it in a lot of the early Scorsese pictures of this era before he really 
broke through in something like Italian American, mm-hmm. where it is very, very important for him to uh, capture this kind of quintessential Italian immigrant experience that has been, you know, look like the original, I don't know, Scarface or something like that. It's not, not exactly a bastion of Italian actors in it, the Howard Hawks one. Um, so I, 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 I think that makes sense. I think it's a, it's a positive thing just so long as we're not going into some extreme, like only an Italian person from Sicily could play a gangster sort of nonsense. Mm-hmm. I, I do want when they eventually make like a podcaster movie, I do want to be considered as like the lead candidate for producers, by the way. <laughs> and, and like, especially if like the podcaster just happens to be a Mets fan, <laughs> like, damn it, I, I better be considered. And it's like biracial <laughs> and I don't get a phone call. Are you kidding me? Has like, <laughs> All these complications about identity. I, listen, I better be getting a phone call, Paramount. Or well, this is this is absolutely a Netflix movie. She was young. She was innocent. She was the greatest piece of ass I've ever had, and I've had them all over the world. And then Johnny Fontaine comes along with his olive oil voice and Guinea charm, and she runs off. She threw it all away just to make me look ridiculous. And a man in my position can't afford to be made to look ridiculous. Now you get the hell out of here! Thank you for the dinner and a very pleasant evening. Your car could take me to the airport. Mr. Corleone is a man who insists on hearing bad news immediately. Oz, are you ready on this, the day of my daughter's wedding, to do a final review of The Godfather? Hell yeah, let's do it. The categories we're doing today, Francis, Francis Ford Coppola directed films, Marlon Brando performances, Al Pacino performances, James Caan performances, Robert Duvall performances, um, a redux of mob movies, breaking bad movies. So a good guy that breaks bad to become a bad guy. Um, 1972, the 1970s. And one final time, two weeks after the Oscars, which have felt like they happened three years ago. um, Best picture winners. Um, We start, as always, with our director is the Godfather, a top five film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Now, I actually didn't find this in the research. You're saying Scorsese was originally was one of the names listed to be asked to direct The Godfather? My strong understanding, and I, I, I candidly can't remember what my sourcing is on this, is that Scorsese was because it, it was like a war. Uh, mm-hmm. Coppola was miserable. The studio was miserable. They hated each other. And my strong understanding is that Marty was approached to do it and declined. And I don't know if that comes from like Ebert's book about about Scorsese or where where exactly I'm I'm pulling that from, and maybe I'm just an idiot and have made things up because having children ruins your your brain. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure that that's a thing that happened. So I'm gonna read off some almost directed The Godfather's, and if you want, while I do, go ahead and do the do the Oz thing where you research very accurately <laughs> in a short amount of time. Um, so Sergio Leone. Um, oh, that would have been awesome. That's so that cool. was Paramount's first choice. And he turned it down because he didn't want to do a mob movie. And guess what he did instead? Once, Once upon, upon a time, time yeah. in America. <laughs> so that didn't really work out. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich was then approached. Um, and then he was not interested in doing a mafia movie. Um, Peter Yates, Richard Brooks, Arthur Penn, Costa Gavras and Otto Preminger were all offered the position and declined. Do you know offhand what, like, if you want to give some context to you who don't know who these directors are, like what they're famous for? 
Otto Preminger is a, a fucking monster. That guy, that guy's as good as it gets. He did like anatomy of a murder, mm. which is fucking awesome. He was just a, a killer through the fifties, primarily like the fifties and sixties. I think he was very much at the end of his quality career in when, by the time we get to the seventies, but that guy, that guy's awesome. Who are the other ones you said? Richard Brooks. So, um, and Richard Brooks has uh, looking for Mr. Goodbar, um, in Cold Blood, uh, Blackboard Jungle, a lot of movies. In oh, Blackboard Jungle is good. That's, yeah, that's a good movie. Oh, in, uh, yeah, in Cold Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, that, there's some good stuff here. Yeah, um, I'd never heard of Peter Yates or Arthur Penn, but they were approached before. Um, before uh, Coppola was. Um, do you have a confirmation about Marty in The Godfather? I, I I'm I'm working on it. Give me one. Give me one can more just, minute. Can I just say this? And I'll this this may be me stalling a bit, but like I'm I'm actually kind of happy that like Marty's first legitimate entrance into this. Like I know he had other ones, but like what we know Marty for is Goodfellas, because then I don't think he puts the same the same care and the same like fastball behind Goodfellas. As he would have if he like, I don't want to get Marty stuck in like I, I say stuck as if like the Godfather part one and two wouldn't have been great accomplishments to his resume. I'm glad we got the career we got from Marty Scorsese. I solved what it is. What the, is it? Uh, Coppola didn't want to come back for the sequel mm-hmm. and suggested that Scorsese do it. And uh, Paramount uh, refused having Scorsese do the sequel. I got to be honest. I'm OK with that. Now, um, this it is, worked this out. Is, worked out right. This is also like hindsight being 2020 that it worked out, like you said. But yeah, I so there a, a little research already for our Godfather part two um, to, uh, final review. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, one of the greats. How great is he? Oz? When you think Francis Ford Coppola, like how high does that does that stature rise? You know, it's a little it's a little hard because I think that he has four movies that are just unassailable and they're all in a row um four movies that are just fucking masterpieces mm-hmm. just just stone cold flat out and not just not just me saying it it's not my opinion these are like consensus movies we've got godfather conversation godfather 2 and apocalypse now back to back to back to back and it wouldn't be crazy to see those four movies as i, I don't know where they rank on like the afi list but if all four of those were in the top 10 of the afi list i'd be like sure that that sounds right to me, and it, it's it, he's a little bit of a I, I don't know. Let's do sports again here. A Sandy Koufax. He has this mm. unbelievable greatest ever peak, mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of stuff later that's not so good. Look, he's very very difficult dealing with the studio system, and frankly, I think he's proven at this point he's often right. But like the Cotton Club, I I saw last year his director's cut, and it's fucking great. The theatrical version of that movie is is quite bad. It's quite a grind. Um, his recent stuff, like I I like the Rainmaker. I think it's a good movie, but that's that's hardly the thing that inspires you. It's so weird in ways that my brain can't process that he made Jack the Robin Williams movie. Mm-hmm. How fucking bizarre is that? Or that terrible Dracula movie. Um, and then now he's been off doing like weird ass art films. There was one movie that was being like re-edited on the fly in theaters, each place it played, but like Tetro and Twixt and those sort of things, I think are all, are all quite terrible. And you want to talk about things that are inaccessible to audiences. That's some inaccessible stuff. And now he's like 
putting his own fortune out there to do this megalopolis movie like he's gonna spend like 150 million dollars on his own to do his dream project is what he what he's up to now he's like putting all the wealth from his giant billion dollar wine empire up to make his own movie outside the system because no one will let him do it with all of his buddies so i'm incredibly excited for that but i think that he is the probably the greatest peak ever and a guy who most interestingly has said fuck this shit when it comes to dealing with with the industry and happily grows his wine and makes a lot of money from it it is amazing that you went to a baseball reference and said Sandy Koufax because my thought was Barry Bonds. Like those four years where it was clear that he was cheating. And you look at that, like that four year stretch, um, I guess from, oh, it could, you, you honestly start in 2000, but from oh one when he breaks the record to oh two oh three oh four, where they just like weren't pitching to him for three years. And Base, non-baseball fans, we apologize. Happy opening day, though, to all of you. I hope you celebrate somehow this weekend. Um, I think I thought a lot about the I thought a lot about the McTiernan conversation I, I threw at you where I asked, is there a better three movie in a row stretch? And the answer is yes. The movie, <laughs> the answer is yes, but like the way that Coppola that that McTiernan so, let me let me get it all out and then you can react, I promise. Because it's going to sound blasphemous. The way I put McTiernan over Coppola is like those three movies are unassailable. His best three movies in a row. And you can't... I don't think you can do that with Coppola because you, like the conversation I don't think is better than The Godfather or Apocalypse Now and those bookend it. So where Coppola is able to go ahead of... McTiernan is like, go to four. Like, who has a better four in a row stretch throughout movie history? Because I also love the conversation. It will be coming up on my list in a second. And as a result, it's what makes this so great that it's not just like box office, like uh, uh, box office celebrated films, but it's also like critically acclaimed and important. And yeah, that's where I go to Francis Ford Coppola that I, I'm curious to see if there will be any takes in the top fives we're about to list where those four films aren't in those the five, and then we pick the fifth. So I, I, I'm if you want to just get into it now, we can. We, uh, we, we should get into it because I, I I disagree kind of strongly with something you said. Oh, uh, my, what did I say? Well, you will you'll you'll hear it in a moment. Okay. Uh, exactly. My number one is The Godfather Part Two. Okay. I think Part Two is better, and I think it comes down to one particular thing. Both movies have a Sicily arc. And in The Godfather Part Two, it is perhaps the greatest 45 minutes ever, ever made. Mm-hmm. And in Godfather Part One, it's when you would get up to take a piss when it was on cable because <laughs> no one cares about Michael off getting married in Italy. That part is the weakest part of the film. And in Godfather Part Two, that stuff is absolute fire. So uh, this is, you know, picking children, but Godfather part two is number one and Godfather part one is number two. My number three is the conversation. Uh, So you would put those three in a row together and that's the best three. Okay. Then there you go. That is the best three movie arc. I prefer conversation to apocalypse now in in part. I, I, you you just rewatched it. It is breathtaking. How, how relevant it feels yeah. To a lot of the kind of moral complexities of our world today, to privacy rights, to to all sorts of things, and for this to be such a 
a film that presages uh, Watergate America, only it came out, you know, months before the yeah, Watergate scandal that's broke. The thing is that's amazing. Ama- that's the thing that's yeah. am- like, so amazing about it is like people thought when it came out, oh my God, they made a Watergate movie, not realizing you could you, you need like years to prepare for a movie. Yeah, this no, this this was made already. This is a stroke <laughs> of luck that it came out. It's like how speed, which is a weird comp comp here, but like speed came out a week before the OJ Bronco chase. Yes, yes. So it's like actually that's right on for the a movie of- about a high mm-hmm. speed chase came out a week before of the most famous high speed chase in the like ever. No, it'd be like if A Star is Born was nominated for Best Picture this year when there was an actual meltdown during the Oscars. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's like, there, make it a modern comp. You know, here's what I'll say. I I think of these four movies, the conversation is easily and by an enormous margin the least seen. I think that there are probably folks out there listening who have not seen the conversation and are like, oh no, uh, I, I don't know what it is, two hour and 15 minute 70s movie with Gene Hackman like listening in on a on a radio device it is so so good it is so tense it's really exciting baby harrison ford is mm-hmm. in this movie uh it's really evolved yeah evolves back yeah it is really really good I, I just i can't i love it so much i can't recommend it strongly enough this is like a quintessential i saw it in the one semester of film class i took mm-hmm. in high school and it's stuck with me ever since sort of movie uh, it's great. I think that Apocalypse Now is a masterpiece. I think it's wonderful. I will admit that I find the last act when it goes full heart of darkness to be a bit of a grind. I understand mm. the effectiveness thematically. I'll also say there are like six versions of this movie. And in my brain, I struggle a little bit to compare and contrast the pacing and the tweaks of which which one is the best. Uh, but I think it's it's obviously a, a masterful film in a great many ways. And I, I you know, we're going to talk about Duvall in a moment, but Duvall is amazing there. That movie is just it's just really, really good. That's yeah. just four. It's just four killers. So the fifth one for me is I thought about a couple here. I'll I'll save digging into the others for the honorable mentions, but I'm actually going with the Cotton Club and specifically the Cotton Club Encore and not the, it's called Cotton Club Encore in the re-released version and not the original. Uh, it stars Richard Gere and Diane Lane. It is a mob movie centered around a Harlem jazz club in the 30s. Uh, it's it's just really good. It's got a lot of great music in it too, but this is a this is a very much underseen Coppola movie in part because the original is quite bad. And uh, it, it's definitely, definitely worth tracking down. It's also, it's got like baby Lawrence Fishburne, baby Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of people you know in this movie before they were like guys. And I think it's really, really worth tracking down for a very different angle on a mob movie from from Coppola because it's it's dialed into the Jewish criminal community and the Harlem criminal community. I think it's it's very effective stuff. So I I threw that question at you about the the four in a row and how I was more going by consensus where like I think people would have apocalypse now more people would have apocalypse now above a conversation. And it's why it would be tough for like consensus 
to have his best three movies be in a row. I also have the conversation at number three above Apocalypse Now. So it's not. Listen, I thought about it. It's it's impossible to do so. We have the same top four. But I thought about putting a conversation a step higher. Me too. Putting it too, but I I just to put I couldn't pull the above, trigger. I, I couldn't either. I couldn't either. Um, but I also look. I I'm always going to be fascinated by like character studies more than I will the grand scheme of things. But I also think the character study of what happens to Michael in The Godfather is also as compelling as anything that happens to Hackman in Apocalypse and in um in the conversation so my number five is um not the cotton club while i did familiarize myself with it had never seen it until looking at clips at it this week um but i'm gonna ask you to stay golden pony boy and go with the outsiders as my number five my number Um, six yeah it's guy you want to talk about a who's who um you talk about the what was it? The pussy club that you were talking about? Pussy posse, the, pussy, the posse, pussy yeah. posse. Well, I raise you the brat pack of yeah, the this, 1980s. This. Um, so this, you were talking about like, get them now before they take off. Tom Cruise just playing like this small role in the outsiders. Um, Ralph Macchio, Emilio Estevez. Um, um, who else am I blanking on? Um, uh, the guy that Matt says, Dillon. Yeah, Matt Dillon. There you go. Um, uh, Rob uh, Rob Lowe. I'm blank. I literally was blanking on Rob Lowe. Bob, my favorite character at, to come out of this movie. Um, the uh, this is one of my probably my favorite movie that is outside of those top four that it's unassailable to talk about. Uh, one of the movies that made me excited to one day like what I saw as a kid and like couldn't wait to have friends that we just like this also is from a time pre cell phones that I know some of our listeners don't know existed (laughs) where the way you hung out with people is you went and saw them and hung out with them and you would go to their house and knock on their door and ask if they could come out. Yes. That's literally what happened. Now (laughs) I didn't have a a rival social to, to gang to go fight up against, but you know, there were no murders committed. Nobody got lit on fire. And then, you know, uh, I, I, the Outsiders would be my number five, though. Um, your album mentions. Okay, I, I just have one Outsiders take. What's up? And, and maybe I don't know if this is a take or not, but if you look at the combination of the Outsiders and the Karate Kid, which I think were back to back for mm-hmm. Macho, I like him. Let me be clear when I say this. That guy hit like the worst case scenario for what his career could be. He is, he's you know good enough for what the Karate Kid is and needs, mm-hmm. and, and he carries the movie very well. He's incredible in the outsiders. This is like a like a, a young Leo sort of this is like if you have like, I don't know, basketball diaries and what's eating Gilbert Grape, and then he just didn't didn't do anything else that was very good for the rest of his entire career. Because I, I'm blown away by how incredibly good he is in this movie. And I just don't know where it went. I should say my cousin Vinny is a good good performance as yeah, well. But, but you know, he's, he's also part. not yeah, he's like barely in it. Like he's the cousin. So like that's I, on trial, I should say. Yeah, Yeah. it's not (laughs) what a weird career because seeing the outsiders for him for that to be his outcome is just not not what you would have bet on. I think I think Macho is perfectly fine with all his his Netflix money now, although at the Comedy Central roast of Rob Lowe, 
he did go into how like like that was the the, the number one joke about Machio was like welcome back to television like welcome back to hollywood where have you been all these years and then he did joke about how like the the different timelines that he and rob Lowe took that i acted my ass off in uh outsiders and you get the career <laughs> like what the hell um so yeah those are my top five your honorable mentions uh, my honorable mentions uh like you the outsiders i would throw the rainmaker there which i will admit I've not seen recently, but I, I quite liked when I've seen in the past, the it's sort of a conventional legal thriller. It's when Coppola was going through a bit of a paycheck phase. Mm-hmm. And I like Rumblefish, which is also based on a book by the same guy who wrote The Outsiders. Um, it's Mickey Rourke and Matt Dillon again and Diane Lane, which I think is quite good. It's about kind of like a, a fuck up gangster who wants to live a better life. So I, I think it's a it's a good movie and worth worth tracking down. It's been a little lost, I think. So I don't have a lot to go off of. I just want to talk about Jack for a second because I don't I, I haven't seen this movie in forever. And it's one of the, I, I only found out that he directed it this like this week while so doing the research weird. for this movie is like this is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. For those who don't know what Jack is, so Robin weird. Williams is born with this weird disease, and his mom is Diane Lane. His I forget who his father is in the movie, and he's got this weird disease where he ages for every one year is seven years on his life. So, um, like. At four years old, he looks like a 28 year old. At seven years old, he looks like he's in his. It can't be like, that, that math is too much. I forget got, what it, I forget it's like what four, it is. I think it's four years every. Uh, Regardless, he has like a speed a, aging, a speed aging disease where like weeks into weeks after Diane Lane finds out she's pregnant, he like is born. And then like a few days like a, f- a few years go by and all of a sudden he looks like a three like a, a 13 year old the point is like i saw this movie so many times on cable and it was like oh it's the the, the robin williams ages movie and like the 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 basketball scene where because he's like a three feet taller than every other first grader <laughs> he's dominating and he's like talking shit but like a first grader played by robin williams and when it comes time for prom he asks his teacher jennifer lopez yeah you say it's like, jennifer, it's like j-lo's first movie. yeah and he's like in in seventh grade having heart failure and it's like <laughs> Like I remember the the valedictorian speech that he gives, and he looks about like, the heart. Fact. Yeah, like he has like a heart so attack, he like falls down the stairs. I don't even know if I love this movie or whether, with like <laughs> a different perspective, I would watch it now and be like, "Oh, this is bad." I just want to say, like, an honorable mention. Literally, I'm I'm mentioning it in honor. I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> Jack is, I, I don't even know if it's good or bad. Oz. I don't even know. I just know that I've seen it a lot. I can't say that I've revisited it and I'm going to let it live in the happy memory place where, where it currently resides for the rest of my days. Mm-hmm. I'm literally looking up the, the plot synopsis to find out what the actual thing is, like the actual disease and what it looks like. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it's a, it's an unobtainium sort of disease and doesn't uh-huh. actually exist. All right, so it is four. So every four years, that he ages every year that he ages is four. So they, I remember there's a scene where the teacher 
is asking all of her students, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the, the camera, Coppola does actually some really good, uh, a really good shot here where he asks like, it's slowly painting to Jack going onto his paper <laughs> and he's doing the math of what age he'll be at 17. And he's like, what do I want to be when I grow up alive? Yeah. It's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Holy shit. Okay. Get a couple of guys. You go over to Lucas apartment, hang around, wait for them to show up. Uh, maybe we shouldn't get Mike uh, mixed up in this too directly. Listen, uh, hang around the house on the phone and be a big help. huh? Try Luca again. Go ahead. What the hell is this? That's a Sicilian message. It means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Next up is the Godfather at Top Five Marlon Brando performance. We'll talk about what happened at the Oscars when we get to Best Picture. Um, he obviously won the Oscar for best for best actor this year. Um, as we mentioned earlier, notoriously difficult to work with Marlon Brando. Um, almost Vito. Do you know any of the other people considered to play uh, Don Vito Corleone? I feel like there's one very very big bopper that I'm not thinking of. There's that- one. There's a, literally one very big one that actually Coppola favored over Brando. Oh uh, no, Coppola favored Brando over this person who the studio wanted. Of course, the studio wouldn't want Brando because yeah. he's such a pain in the ass. Who is it? Lawrence Olivier. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but Olivier's agent refused to uh, refuse role claiming Olivier was sick. The studio also mainly pushed after that, mainly pushed for Ernest Borgenine. Borg- Borgnine, excuse me, um, to receive the part. Others considered were George C. Scott, Orson Welles. Um, that would have been terrible at, yeah, this, Orson part, at Wells this point in his life. Yeah. Um, Orson Welles lobbied to get the part of Don Vito Corleone, even offering to lose a good deal of weight in order to get the role. Huh. Yeah. Um, so they actually made it when finding out that all of the 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 hassle that was going on and the back and forth of whether he would get the part. They asked Brando to come and audition and he came in and he put shoe polish in his hair and wanted to make his face look like a bulldog, which obviously now realizing that's the look he went with. So he stuffed his cheeks with cotton wool for the audition and for the actual filming, he ended up wearing a mouthpiece made by a dentist. Um, the That appliance is on display in the American Museum Museum of Moving Images in right here in Queens, in New York. Um, that place is really cool if you've never been. I've never been, and I live in Queens, so that give me something to do this offseason. Um, Marlon Brando and James Caan also had to wear lifts for the movie, so there's a little, little <laughs> thing there. Uh, notoriously difficult to work with Marlon Brando. Is that how you... Is that like how film circles remember him or is he is it like more of a process thing where it's like regardless of how difficult he was to work with the greats are difficult to work with you know i mean he's uh, uh, this this is like a a life that this is a guy who needs a biopic this is a life that's Mm. sort of difficult to believe all the stuff all the stuff that's out there about him i mean everything from like knocking out paparazzi like all the crazy sort of i don't know shia labeouf-esque stuff that you you see to Mm. Like the people he dated. I mean, there's like significant reporting that he and Richard Pryor were fucking when they were making the Superman sequel. Like there, there's like there's 
no limit to whatever crazy shit you think could have happened in Brando's life. It probably did. But I also think that when Brando is on, he's as fine an actor as has ever lived. And it's not like, you know, Christian Bale method stuff or anything like that. But, um, you know, he, he's a guy who spent a lot of his life too talking about the process of acting and what it, what it meant to him and how he approached it and comparing with how others approached it. I just, I think he, he's a, he's a really, really fascinating guy. It's kind of a, it's a little weird to think about. And I don't want to get into like a cancel culture thing or anything like that. <laughs> this is not a guy who would have a career in this era. It just, it just wouldn't work. Um, just too, too difficult, too risky financially for the studios. It just, it, it wouldn't be there. And it's kind of a bummer because man, he's so good. And he's also like, he has the sort of like masculine sex symbol thing down so well in his early work in the fifties, like, like streetcar and on the waterfront are, you know, about as good as uh, we were going to do our Kinsey scale joke here, but about as like (laughs) masculine and attractive someone could be. It's like peak right there. This guy is, uh, he's fucking fantastic. So I was wondering if you had any like dishonorable mentions in that you haven't seen them because I have one. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that there are things from early in his career that I, I should have seen, but I have not. I know that I've seen, like, for example, his Julius Caesar. I saw like in class when That's I was in thing. grade I have, school. And I have Julius I, Caesar on my list. I don't have it as like a a mention. It's just like I I, I know I've seen it, you know, because every every great every I want to say we saw it in junior high. Yeah, it's, it's, it's literature, like a, you know? it's like a very seventh grade thing. Yeah, to have yeah. to have watched. I, I'm sure that there are some things that I have not seen of his that are good. I'll bet there are a lot of things of, of his I've seen that are good, but weren't part of like what you're supposed to see. I know uh, the ugly American. I've not seen the ugly American and that's supposed to be a very good performance, but a little off the grid from the sort of consensus of the, you know, last tango in Paris, Godfather streetcar on the waterfront stuff that you're, you have to see to understand Brando. I have never seen a streetcar named desire. That's, oh, that's like, a, that's a bad whiff. That's a very bad whiff. I, even with like the extra prep time we had this week, I just did not have the time to go back that far. There's a lot of prep we had to do for this pod, but I assumed that like this would be, this would be pretty up there according to the reputation. It's the, I'll, I'll suggest you'll be, you'll be hearing it again momentarily. Well, then let's get into it because <laughs> I'm going to kind of zoom through my list because sure. again, my limited, my limited, uh, uh, references to Brando. I do have like a very clear top two. And I think it's, I think, and you might add more context and correct me here. I think it's like got the two roles he's most known for, at least what I've heard of him for. And the Godfather's one and on the waterfront is number two. That's where you get the, the famous, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You're, like, you're Godfathering him too much there. He's not that, he's not that extreme. Yes, I I think it sounded exactly like him. So on the waterfront is two. I go Apocalypse Now, Superman, and Julius Caesar as my three, four, and five. Again, I I'm positive that a streetcar named Desire and Oz knows this. My blind spot for movies starts from like when the Mets arrived 
and earlier. <laughs> so from 1962 and beyond is when I like can probably stick with you for movies. And then earlier than that is when I just I'm out. So Oz, what are your top five Marlon Brando performances? Uh, my number one's on the waterfront. It it's not actually, waterfront. it's not actually close either. I think on the waterfront might be the greatest male lead performance ever in a movie. It's about hmm. the sort of internal corruption among longshoremen at the Jersey docks. Uh, it's just, it's so fucking good. If you have not seen this movie, please go see it. It's won, it won everything. Best director, best picture, all that, all the other stuff you want. It's on all the AFI lists, all that crap. It's just really good. And it ages really well. I think it's probably the single movie from the fifties that has aged best. And directed by Elia Kazan, yep. who we mentioned earlier, almost replaced Francis Ford Coppola on this film, The Godfather. Uh, my number two is A Streetcar Named Desire, which I think has some quirks of filmmaking because it's a direct adaptation of a Broadway version of mm -hmm. Tennessee Williams' play directly made into a movie. So there are, there are elements of it where I, I think as a movie, I have some questions where it's not as, I don't know what sort I'm looking for, cinematic as I would like it to be for overall greatness. But good God, Marlon Brando is so fucking good in, in this movie. It's kind of, it's about the, the complex relationship of this couple who moves to the French quarter. Um, oh man. And they're like shitty, horrible life there. It's so good. It's so fucking good. I just go, go see this one too. He's, he's so good. Uh, number also, three, also directed by Kazan, by the Kazan, way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number three for me is Godfather. I, I want to, uh, there, there's a lot of the sort of like stuff that sometimes I don't like in this performance, the like big oof mm -hmm. stuff. But when he sees Sonny's body, mm. the way his face is, is contorting feels so incredibly real and tortured to me. I think it is, it is, genuinely moving stuff i think it's i just think it's incredible so uh godfather is going to be my number three my number four is last tango in paris there it is there we go <laughs> we, we need it we need, I, I, I knew think, it <laughs> i think it was the one of the first movies to get an x rating and be yeah, released in theaters nc17 there's a theme oh, for well, nc17 didn't exist yeah. until like the right 90s, but, but yeah yeah, so this was an X-rated movie. It's it's about fucking. <laughs> it's Bert, it's uh, Bernardo Bertolucci who made a lot of movies about fucking, but uh, it's basically about a um, a guy who moves to Paris uh, because if I think his his, his wife, wife kills herself and yeah, his he wife. moves he moves to Paris and starts having a lot of sex with uh, with a with a engaged married whatever married woman there it's it's really good he's really good in it uh it's very very moving and it has a very emotionally complex uh last act that you should watch and see and process in this movie uh could not be made today and a fun one i'll go with mutiny on the bounty which is one of the ah. best of that era of kind of swashbuckling pirate type adventure stories i think mutiny on the bounty is pretty good uh, honorable mentions. I, I don't actually love him in Apocalypse Now. I think it's when we're starting to get into unmotivated mm. Brando a bit there and kind of coasting on the Marlon Brando of it all. But that'll go in there. I'm throwing guys and dolls in there because I think it's it's cool when actors used to be able to do the song and dance thing and they can't really do that anymore aside from like Hugh Jackman. So guys and dolls and a weird one. And I'm not even maybe this is bad and I shouldn't 
include it and this maybe he's bad in this movie but i like it i've got real warm and fuzzies about it and that's the score mm, my honorable mention there yeah, you go the, the frank oz movie with uh him and robert de niro and edward norton so he's just like collecting pain in the asses to make that and uh I, he spends most of the movie you know sitting in a sauna in a robe and i i think that he kind of refused to do anything else but he's still pretty fucking good when he's on screen with de niro so uh the score pretty good movie well you you're burying the lead. He's on screen with De Niro. This is their only yeah. time oh, yes. that yes. Brando and De Niro are on screen yes. together. And that's what was the marketing behind this movie. Holy shit. Both Vito's are going to be on screen in a movie together. And when De Niro walks into the bar to see him, you get like goosebumps because of everything that has nothing to do with the actual movie. Yeah, that's watching. That's actually you know? really <laughs> so, yeah, Norton has a, a problematic portrayal in in this movie. <laughs> yes, he does. yes he does that, that's all i'm gonna say i thought i got all you guinea hoods locked up what the hell are you doing here what happened to the men who were guarding my father captain why you little punk what the hell are you doing telling me my business i pulled them guys off of here huh now you get out of here and stay away from this hospital i'm not moving until you put some guides around my father's room phil take him in it's clean captain He's a war hero. He's never been... God damn it, I said take him in. What's the tech paying you to set up my father, Captain? Next up is the Godfather Top 5 Al Pacino performance. Almost Michael Corleone. Let's go down the list. Paramount executives wanted popular actor, wanted a popular actor, either Warren Beatty or Robert Redford. Producer Robert Evans wanted Ryan O'Neill to receive the role in part due to his recent success in Love Story. Redford um, would have been bad. Warren Beatty, I can kind of see. I, man, I don't like Redford for this part. I, well, let me finish the rest. Yeah, I, yeah, actually, I think they like nailed it with Pacino and the fact yes. that, like, especially his stature, because like he has to rise from. It's a bit of an underdog that he goes from like the long lost son, to, and his stature helps with that. That's a great um, observation. Pacino was Coppola's favorite for the role as he could picture him roaming the Sicilian countryside and wanted an act, an unknown actor who looked like an Italian American. Buckle up. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds was also offered the role, but Marlon Brando was threatening to quit if Reynolds came on board. So Reynolds turned down the role. Love Brando. Good job, buddy. Jack Nicholson was also offered the role, but turned it down because he felt that an Italian American should play the role. Good job, Jack Nicholson. And then I, I got to tell you, go I could see that. It's a very like alternate universe one. I kind of like it. I prefer I mean, Pacino. I think Pacino is amazing, but I kind of like it. It's a little yes. like the when you told me about this Robin Williams uh, as Joker, what, Joker yeah. thing. Yeah, feel a little the same. It's, it's very different. I I, I can kind of see it. Uh, James Kahn was well received by Paramount executives and was given the part of Michael initially, while the role of Sonny Corleone was awarded to Carmine Caridi. How do you pronounce that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Coppola still pushed for Pacino to play Michael after the fact. And Evans eventually conceded, allowing Pacino to have the role of Michael as long as Khan played Sonny. Evans preferred Khan over Caridi because Khan was several inches shorter than Caridi and was much closer to Pacino's height. So they had to... Which is funny because then Khan goes on to wear lifts in the movie. I'm telling you, it's... 
I always look at the fact that Pacino being so short is like he's written off throughout the movie of like, what, this you're going to enter into the family business? Like, we're not going to expect much from you. And that's why him rising to power has much more of an effective thing. Um, what a career. Al Pacino, like going through his filmography is, I mean, pick it. What's your favorite Pacino decade? I'll start there. Is it the Ooh. 70s? It's unassailable? It's, it's easily the 70s, actually. Okay. Now there's different versions of Pacino. So. Yes. And you know that there is something I, I don't love. So. Right. But like, even if even if he becomes cartoony, that's like a version of Pacino that that is, you know, can can exist. Basically, it's 70s or 90s Pacino. What do you prefer? Oh, it's it. I, I'm just glancing at the 90s now. And, you know, I ooh, there's a part of me. I, the problem is, like, I, I don't think Scent of a Woman is good mm-hmm. but then i look at the later stuff and mm-hmm. any given sunday is yep. fun is fun bad <laughs> the insider is legitimately excellent devil's advocate is fun bad donnie brasco is very good 95 it's, it's easily this i i well and heat is uh fucking masterful he's one of my favorite movies i adore mm-hmm. heat but uh it's the 70s i agree i think there's two different versions of pacino that i enjoy when i'm looking that's, for that's quality too yeah when I look at quality, I go to especially this run in the 70s where he goes like Godfather Part 1, Serpico, Godfather Part 2, Dog Day. Like yep. that happens. And then and it's... He's got like a Cruising and Injustice for All. or after Yeah. That, which are yeah. banger performances. Yeah. And then the 90s is just a different version. Once he wins his Oscar, it's basically just turn the volume all the way up and that's Pacino. And I, so like in Criterion world, is he considered one of the all time greats or is it looked at as like has a peak and then, you know, kind of goes off the rails at some point. He's kind of outside Criterion world a mm. little bit because he does a lot. Cause Criterion world tends to emphasize folks who are um, a little outside the studio system. Mm-hmm. And that's just not Al. He he spent his entire career inside the studio system and doing big studio movies. I think he's quite revered for all the work in in the seventies and quite adored and generally is is seen as with a bit of frustration in his more modern work. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't seem to be this kind of and maybe it'll happen. I hate to say it this way, but maybe it'll happen when he dies. But there hasn't been a kind of a reappraisal of his what are generally thought of as bad performances, like what has happened with Nick Cage. Where most, I think most film snobs are in a Nick Cage rocks pretty much all the time place. And it's fun and good when he goes big. And I don't think Al's quite gotten that reappraisal. And it seems to me that they're, they're kind of one and the same. They're both incredibly, Al's better, but they're both incredibly good actors who mm-hmm. frequently give very, very big performances. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question i think i think certainly folks start to to lose their affection for him around scarface which is like 83 or 84 or something yeah. like that it seems that's where the the narrative turns then you get like like dick tracy and he's so much worse in godfather part three it's it's kind of shocking um yeah scent of a woman sucks <laughs> um i i think just it's not even an age thing because i i think we're close enough in age that if we had started at the same time following movies that I would have recognized that seventies run as like what it is. Um, I think I always grew up with the heat version of Pacino though. So that's what 
that's what I was introduced to first. So hearing how highly he was ever regarded or revered, like blew my mind when I really started getting into to studying it. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird comp, but like, you know how, how like the, again, back to sports, everybody, like, you know how the current generation of basketball fans only knows Charles Barkley as like the goofy guy on oh, yeah, yeah. inside That's the fair. NBA and don't realize he's one of the greatest basketball players ever, like has a season yeah. where he was legitimately better than Michael Jordan played a final series against Michael Jordan, where they were equal head head, one, yeah. one person's squad was just better than the other person's squad. And like, that's, that's Pacino. There is a run in him. Like Nick Cage is a great comp. Like Nick Cage in the nineties, people thought of him as like a thespian. And now he's just like taking every paycheck possible. It feels like, although pig is pretty great. Like the pig movie. Is saw, yeah. Ma- movie massive talent year. is. Very yeah. Great also. Like there is still talent in there somewhere. Um, yeah. I, 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 I hesitate to even put out a top five because I don't know how much of a mix of my 90s version that I have affection for and that 70s run are going to mix and what to judge him off of, you know? I think it's a really fair point. And I think that that people like people who love movies tend to like the bigger obvious performances that I don't. And Mm. it's kind of my malfunction a little bit because most viewers of, you know, really well read on American film viewers are not as drawn to Sundance movies or French New Wave cinema or, you know, the great Japanese filmmakers like Ozu as I am. So I'm like, yes, I do want to watch a two hour drama about two kids trying to convince their parents to get a TV in Japanese. That sounds great to me. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So I, I get that I have kind of a, a broken perspective and I look, my favorite genre of movies evidently is when two people just walk around for two hours to talk to one another. Yep. So I, I do care very much about a human scale performance and that you're not going to Al Pacino for at least for most of his career for human scale performances. You're going to Al Pacino because you want to see something big. You want to see someone dominate the fucking screen and he's going to, he's going to give you that. And I think he, he's, He's difficult for me to reconcile because I, I really think a lot of his work is great. I think a lot of his big work is great, but he he falls into a pool of people that I think I like, I respect, but I adore a little less than they deserve. I think maybe um, like Jack Nicholson actually would probably mm. fall in this in this group as well. But Al, Al is great, and I I will say I am I first on this one. Yeah, you're first. Um, I'm just gonna dive in because yeah, go ahead. I, I I'm struck by it every single time I watch it the restraint of his performance in the Godfather, which is my easy number one Mm. is so fucking incredible. I think he's so uh, it's mind blowing to me how good he is. I think he is the best part of what is a masterful assemblage of actor and role. I think this, this might be the best cast movie ever. He is uh, it's incredible. He's so nuanced. He's so subtle. He's so smart. I I think of the scene when he tells Kay he's going away. He's just, he's, he's so fucking good here. Like even the, the way that you see the shift in his face when, 
Brando's in the hospital and the police have cleared out and it's just him and the nurse. Mm. And you see sort of the light click in him of, I have to fucking do something. I'm the only one who can do something. I'm the one who needs to protect the family. It's incredible. The hardness when he says that he's, he's going to take the revenge and Sonny's like, all right, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. College boy. That's great. Um, it's incredible. The entire scene, that execution in the diner is so gripping. And so much of it is just Pacino's facial acting. And it's not any of the hoo shit. I just, I really think that Pacino in First Godfather is one of the greatest performances in, in cinema history. I think he, he's utterly electric. And I hate double dipping roles and double dipping movies, but I'm putting The Godfather Part 2. That's my number two. I, I don't like, oh, to, okay. I don't like oh, to do fine. that. Um, I like to vary it up, but I just think it's that good. And, it, you know, I, I, comparing and contrasting them, it's picking kids again. I, he's amazing there. And, and his shift into the heavier element and the darker side of what that character needs to be is incredibly compelling. My number three, we're going to go a little modern here and go with The Insider, mm. which is the very, very wonderful film about a tobacco industry whistleblower with Russell Crowe. I think that movie is is perhaps the like most lost masterpiece of the last 30 years that should really be in the dialogue with your, there will be bloods and no country for old men's of the best movies of the last 30 years that belongs in there for Serpico, which I know is a movie you are also a, a big fan of mm-hmm. um, uh, just a wonderful seventies undercover cop procedural and five. We'll have a little fun here and go with heat. Heat's amazing. He's great. It's fun. Uh, I love heat. I just, it, it is as good a, sort of action crackerjack filmmaking as it gets. So you undersold heat just a little bit. I did undersell heat, but I know that you're it, heat, heat might be your number one. So, so again, you gotta, you gotta go with what you know and what you were introduced to. I figured. First. And what I, figured. I was introduced to first was that, cause she's got a great ass and you got your head all the way up it. Yeah, I'm going to heat number one. This figured, is figured that was coming. The, the diner scene is absolutely the best scene in the movie and my favorite scene in the movie. But it's also like, I don't know, like his presence throughout the movie is also felt. And it's like and the two the two extremes of Pacino, which is why I'm glad you talked about the subtlety in his Godfather performance, because I also wrestled with what to put ahead of what what order to put two godfather performances in and i also landed on part one over part two as my two and three um but yeah i when i think of pacino the the in memoriam sequence i want them to put up there for him i know they're gonna put the godfather and probably honestly just have like a whole five minute well the way the oscars are now they'll have as part of a musical like Uh. someone coming up and just doing all of pacino's performances um yeah, I I go Pacino Heat and then I go Pacino Godfather as my one and two and then Godfather Part Three as my number three. Uh, Godfather Part Two is your number three, right? What'd I say? You said part three. I think because I was doing number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. My number three is part two. So that's my one, two, and three. Um so did I you you did you didn't say dog day. I didn't say dog day. Okay. So I've done it's really good. I know. I know. I've done. So that's the other thing. This is similar to like the Leo conversation. There's just a lot. Oh, that's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Number nine. You know? Yeah. I I wanted to stand the insider 
a little bit here because look, it, it's not going to impact the score because Godfather's number one, and I want to push the insider. If you want, I, I, I could no, do no, this no. tomorrow. And have, no, no, I could do this tomorrow. Oh, and okay. Dog Day and have Dog Day number three. So uh, what's what's yeah. great about this is that you get to highlight some other things without uh, changing the score, and I also get to highlight two other movies without changing the score. One of which is not Serpico, by the way. Serpico is oh. my number, number, my very close honorable mention because there's one other thing. I again, I have to go with what I know. Now, Dog Day Afternoon is number four, and holy shit, rewatching that movie this week, like the tension that you feel, the panic that you feel, where he's like, "Who's got to go to the bathroom?" Right? You go to the bathroom. No, no one's going to the bathroom. Like that, that whole sequence in the beginning when he takes the bank hostage, and like this is a real thing that happened. Is the best part. One of the better like adaptations from real life events that has ever happened. Um, so Dog Day is going to be number four. And then look, you've given him, you gave this movie more stature and more acclaim than the greatest on-screen speech ever given in <laughs> Independence Day. So I'll go with Tony D'Amato in Any Given Sunday as my number five with a lot of other probably world more well-made um, uh, movies as my very close runners up. Um, you mentioned the insider. I have Serpico right there. Can we talk about the Irishman? Cause I know this is, people are mixed on this. What side oh, do you land? Oh, it's, it's definitely on my, on my okay. honorable mentions, a significant honorable mention. I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. I, he, there's a lot of yelling, but I think for what the character is, I actually think it requires a lot of yelling. Um, I've also been to, I've, I've, texted you the picture i've been to the ice cream shop in new Hyde park uh <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Long, here in long that, yeah. island where they find out about kennedy's assassination i've been to that a couple times uh hildebrandt's here in new Hyde park um what are some of your others uh i agree with you totally on dog day a movie that i, I if that movie were made today mm -hmm. fox news would have such an aneurysm that this is like mainstream what is being awarded cinema mm -hmm. and it's 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 kind of brain breaking to me in the ways that we go backwards as a culture. <laughs> this is one of the first movies with a gay protagonist it is frankly, you know, the, the terminology is not the 2022 terminology, a film motivated by gender reassignment surgery. Mm -hmm. It is to use the term. I think the film uses um, it is. <laughs> it's just breathtaking to me that this is just, you know, gone cruising is a movie that was controversial in real mm. time, but I think it's been reevaluated in a more positive way, which is um, about a cop who goes undercover with uh, gay men cruising in bathrooms uh, to have sex with one another uh, to investigate a killer. It's William Friedkin who did the exorcist. I think it's a follow up to the exorcist. I like insomnia, the, mm, uh, the Nolan movie. That. Yeah. I think it's uh, very, I think it's maybe his last great lead performance. Uh, the Irishman is excellent not a lead performance. Mm -hmm. And I think in justice for all, we'll, we'll wrap up my top 10 here. I think when we did, yeah, when we did alien, which is also 1970 years, so, we did, we both mentioned alien is 74, I think. No, oh, no. Aliens. Se either seven, 79. Aliens 79. That's what it is. Cause yep. 79 is 79. the same year as injustice for all. So oh, yeah, yeah. Cause it came up into my like honorables. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I had it as my, you had it in your top five. I had it in my honorables. And I think that's, that's where we both like, Oh, wow. We both love that movie. Um, I have an honorable mention that only Oz knows why it's an honorable mention and it's the devil's advocate. And I, that's all I will say is that I enjoy him 
in that movie for certain reasons. I enjoy uh, Keanu in that movie for certain reasons. Um, and that is all I will say about that. <laughs> I enjoy Charlie's in that movie. Yeah. For reasons. Yeah. The people I watched it with also enjoyed Charlie's in that movie. Um, and then look, we're neither of us are going to say scent of woman or Scarface. I don't hate Scarface as much as you do. I also have like no desire to revisit it as often as some people I, do. I think Scarface is fucking boring. And I oh, love okay. I love De Palma. I, I like I, obviously I like Pacino a lot. I, I I do not. I hate boring, too, as a criticism. I think it's a lazy criticism for when you can't come up with a better way to express what the problem is. And I just I just don't don't care for Scarface at all. So I have one that I have no idea how you're going to react to it, but it's one that is. And look, I'm as long as you to, don't say like righteous kill right no, now, we'll be no, fine. No, no. So I may I may need to reevaluate my trilogies list again and see how high I put the Oceans trilogy, 11, 12 and 13. I adore Oceans 13. It's it's like there's very little stakes in that movie because, you know, they're going to pull off whatever they need to pull off. Um, Pacino playing the the bad guy, the uh, the the uh, sociopath. uh hotel owner casino owner that like willie banks the guy that's uh, caused um lester to have a heart attack and go into this weird coma um i enjoy pacino throughout that movie and um yeah i i it's like very low my honorable mentions it absolutely is an honorable mention though and those three movies just for like putting something on and watching movie stars be movie stars is like one of my more favorite things to do. Um, so I'll go Ocean's Thirteen as a distant honorable mention, but I wanted it mentioned. I would suggest that in in season two, and I think I have suggested this, but we, we could share our process for a moment mm-hmm. here. That when Magic Mike's Last Dance comes mm-hmm. out, we should do Ocean's Eleven and do Soderbergh. Yeah, then we could celebrate Ocean's Thirteen that way. I would like to do a Soderbergh movie. For, there, we have we have some notes to compare for season two. That when we do eventually do compare notes for season two, we'll do it. Tom, this is business, and this man has taken it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming to him. That's a terrific story. We have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Next up is The Godfather, a top five James Caan performance. I've already said all of the almost. Like, he was very early on, like, considered to be Michael. And then when they hadn't cast Sonny yet, they finally cast Michael and then said, all right, well, then Khan will play Sonny. So this way he's close enough in height to Michael Corleone. Um, you had mentioned going through uh, uh, James Khan's performances and not enjoying this or going. No, no, I, I, I think he's quite wonderful. It, it's him. OK, <laughs> so what do you have on him? I didn't I didn't find a lot. I, I don't want to make things too political, but he's okay. a, a very passionate supporter of a certain former president that. OK. I'm, not a passionate supporter of, and he's so like Ronald big, Reagan. Gotcha. Yes, of course, he's a big Fox News guy. Shows up on Fox News from time to time. Um, just you know, not not my flavor of human being. Uh, that said, boy, there's a lot of really good stuff in, particularly the '70s, but bleeding into the '80s for him. Kind of goes off the rails a little when you get to the '90s, and it just kind of stops being good. But from, I guess this maybe a little earlier. When when is 
whenever Brian's song is, there's basically mm-hmm. like a run from like Brian's song to Misery, where he has a ton of stuff that is really, really fucking good. Yeah, and I actually, agree. there's a little late stuff that's good too. And, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Wes Anderson movie, Bottle Rocket. Oh, yeah, that is good I, too. Again, there's a lot of. Anytime someone shows up, so he's got some Lars von Trier stuff in his filmography, as well as some Wes Anderson, which limited the amount of things <laughs> I could choose from. Because I but just no no, no Dogville for you. No, no Dogville for me. Um, so here's he, what I'll actually let me get let me give him a little crowd. A yeah, little crowd. I'm being a little unfair here. I I do like some of his later stuff. I think he's funny and it's a very bad movie. But Mickey Blue Eyes, which is a sort of mob farce romance movie i think he's very funny in that kind of poking fun at his own aesthetic i think he's good in elf i suspect elf's gonna show up on your list a little bit uh, yeah i i suspect I, I think he's good there and i've seen that movie 700 times because i have small children so you know i i i can't i can't say there's anything in those last oh boy the his his filmography the last couple of years is truly dreadful but um i i i think that there's a lot there's i I want to get to our list because my top James Conn performance is I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. I, I think it is really a special film that I'm really excited to proselytize and get people to watch. Well, now I know we don't have the same number one because my number one James Conn performance um, is one that I'm pretty sure both of us, if if we watch together tomorrow, we'd be bawling for the yeah, last yeah, 15 minutes of the movie. That's um, my number two. So it's Brian's song. Yeah. Um, this is the... Uh, ABC movie of the week. So it's a TV movie about Chicago Bears teammates, uh, Brian Piccolo, played by James Caan, and Gail Sayers, played by Billy D. Williams. Gail Sayers, one of the greatest football players ever. And uh, Brian Piccolo had cancer and he slowly deteriorates throughout the movie. Um, and it, it, it uh, highlights the the racial tension and the race different the temperaments and the different racial backgrounds between the two teammates and um they were uh, I, I found this out from from the research this is like they were the first uh, interracial roommates in the history of the NFL which when you look at the history of most sports leagues that's not that surprising that the roommates were not uh, mixed race um you know, Jackie Robinson happened in 1958. Anyway, um, I I can when I think James Con, I think Sonny. But when I think like James Con, as far as things that moved me, I think Brian Piccolo. So I go I go Brian song number one. Totally agree. Uh, and then Sonny's number two. Um, I it was hard. There's another performance that I actually like more, and I think it's actually extremely relevant to today. Um, but it was it, for me, it's like in stature, I had to, out of respect, put Sonny Corleone at number two. And then we come to misery. So remember how when I mean, what's what what's a modern example of fans going nuts at something and then like out of outrage, getting a studio or an uh, an author or something to what there's that, that movie that last year that came or two years ago that came out on Netflix that they thought was endorsing child pornography. There's the Sonic, the hedgehog trailer, which might've actually been a good thing. There's release the Snyder cut, like all the things that Kathy, Kathy Bates represents and ends up predicting in this movie. This is this story. Uh, James Conn plays the author, uh, an author, a famous author that wrote a book 
and he gets in a car accident. And while he's being nursed back to health, um, he finds himself in a cabin and like abandoned cabin with yeah. uh, Kathy Bates, who just so happens to be his number one fan and turns out to be a psycho crazed egg on Twitter that like <laughs> is annoyed at the because she's like reading his most recent book. And as the plot keeps going, she's showing just how much she disapproves of the direction the story is going to the point where the third act of the movie like is one of the more terrifying, but also realistic fears. I think that Hollywood has uh, and like to think this is something that is a, it's an adapted Stephen King book. And of course he wrote this after the reviews he got back for one of his books. So this is how he sees all of you tweeting at him about <laughs> said story. Uh, misery for all of its premonitions is my number three. Um, I go rollerball with my number four, please. Jonathan. I like rollerball. That's good. I, I like rollerball more so for the fact that when they tried to make a sequel, a remake of it, it got John McTiernan thrown in jail. Um, <laughs> with Chris uh, Klein in the James Conn role. Exactly. It's just embarrassing. Um, so I got Rollerball at number four. And then who hasn't seen Elf? Elf is up there for my favorite Christmas movies ever. Um, the he, he plays the dad that is... Um, he writes children's books for a living and then one stumbles into his lab. He also happens to be Will Ferrell, Buddy, the Elf, his long-lost father... Um. Yeah. So, uh, I go James. Con Those are my top five James Con performances. What do you got? I'm gonna go five to one on this, just to okay. to, to Ooh, preserve to preserve a little bit of drama because I don't think y'all know the number one, and I think the number one is fucking awesome, and you okay. should all see it, but you haven't. My number five is a film called The Gambler, which was recently remade with Mark Wahlberg in the lead. It's pretty, it's pretty good. The remake's pretty good. I've seen the remake. I didn't realize that was a remake, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's, the, uh, it's basically the same story. It's about a mm. gambling addict professor and how he totally fucks up his life as a result of it, and Khan is really, really good in this movie, and the movie itself is, is quite good, and I definitely think worth tracking down. Right with you on misery. That's my number four. It's excellent. It presages a lot of the horror of um, the internet era. Uh, number three for me is going to be The Godfather. Obviously, mm. my number two is Brian's Song, which even mm. though it's a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a green book sort of storytelling to do yes. that story to do that story in 1971 for the mass audience of TV is more impactful. Uh, and I think it, it gets a little bit of a pass on some of its lazy race stuff because of that. Uh, and it, it is like the ultimate guy cry movie. It's like totally acceptable for dudes to weep at the end of that movie. And I think that's great. My number one is a movie that you should in particular see, especially considering how much you just praised heat. Mm -hmm. And it is an early career Michael Mann movie, also produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who is quite special to my heart. A film called Thief about a professional safe cracker played by James Caan, who's trying to get out of the life. And the cast is like fucking bonkers in it. Mm -hmm. Like like Jim Bel or James Belushi is in it. Uh, Willie Nelson has like a part in this movie. It is so exciting. It's so good. I almost don't want to say that it's in the Criterion Collection because it puts like a an er like an element of pretentiousness on it that it doesn't deserve. This is like a really good heist thriller movie. Khan is incredible. Uh, 
it's really, really modern. You can feel it in the filmmaking. It, it, it's very much like a, like a core nineties action movie in the best way. I, I would really, really recommend this. This is something that I think our, our sort of core contingent of listeners would really click with as well. Thief. Very, very good movie. So quick, quick, Synopsis of Thief. It's based off the 1975 novel, The Home Invaders, Confessions, Confessions of a Cat Burglar by Frank Hoheimer. Um, and it stars, obviously, uh, James Kahn in the title role. So this is based off a real person. This is absolutely my shit, too. So this is I, extremely your shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board. I will watch Thief and then maybe adjust some things the next time we do a James Kahn list. Um, okay. Your honorable men. Do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I do have honorable mentions here. Actually, kind of a few. Elf, uh, Bottle Rocket. I think he's good in. That's Wes Anderson movie. Um, Dogville. No Lars von Trier for you. Mm-hmm. The Yards, which is a pretty good James uh, James Gray movie with Charlize and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and he's part of the giant ensemble with like Anthony Hopkins and Sean Connery in A Bridge Too Far. And it's hard to say that anyone particularly stands out because it's such an ensemble piece, but he's He's perfectly good in it. And a bridge too far is of that era of war movies, of you know, kind of very who I we're all heroes, rah rah sort of stuff. Uh, a bridge too far is one of the best. So I don't have a lot of James Kahn in my life. Um, so what I will go to for my honorable mention is the episode of Family Guy where he <laughs> plays himself. Um, the the Star Wars parody, something, 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 dark side. Um, I just the fact that he was able, they were able to get him that he plays Tim Lockwood in Cloudy with a Chance of, of, of Meatballs. I think that's the dad. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot of James Caan in my life. However, I very, very much adore the, the five that I chose. And now maybe even a six once I see Thief. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, my friend, are you ready to do me the service? Yes. What do you want me to do? I want you to use all your powers and all your skills. I don't want his mother to see this. Look how they massacred my boy. Next up is The Godfather, a top five Robert Duvall performance. So not a lot of casting um, mystery to this uh, is The Godfather. Um, it, Paramount and Coppola's first choice for for Tom Hagen. Um, yeah, look, look, the only comment Robert Ball has ever made about his performance was that he wished they would have made a better hairpiece for his character. Uh, <laughs> do you have a consigliere in your life? 
I, I, am I my own consigliere? Is that ah, how this works? You might be. You might be. I'm definitely somebody's consigliere. <laughs> friend of the... Hi, John. Um, I I wish I had a consigliere full-time like this. And is this where like this idea was introduced of like a consigliere? No, no. It's got to be in older, older gangster movies and stuff like that. Okay. But this is... Is this the most popular oh, yeah, uh, he's def- portrayal of this? Tom Hagen's character? So. Oh, okay. definitely. Okay. Do you want to, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, you want to tell everybody what a consigliere does? It's a mob lawyer. It's yeah. a fixer. It's a fixer yeah. for the mob. Um, yeah, that's really what he does. As yeah. he describes in the movie, he has one very particular client that he provides all services to. Uh, it's uh, Robert Duvall is fucking awesome. Yeah. And he's, he always, every time I've come back to it in like adult life, he always pops for me uh, basically as much as Pacino. In these first two movies, really a bummer that he didn't want to do three. And they mm. brought in that because that the new lawyer is fucking terrible. He's the worst performance. He's I, I actually think he's worse than Sofia Coppola in in Godfather Three. He's terrible. Really? But um uh, he's like he's so good. He's so charismatic. He has just the right sort of not intimidation, but but swagger to the way he talks to people knowing that he is the forerunner of the big stick that's coming behind him. I just, I think he's so incredible in these movies. I think he's incredible in general. I went through his, his, his performance list and I was just, and I know he's not always a leading man, but when I went through the list, I was like, Holy fuck. There are a ton, a ton of movies in here that he is so good. And even movies suck. I thought that, um, the Robert Downey Jr. Movie where the judge, yeah. I thought that movie was dog shit, but Duvall is great. At it. Yeah. He's just fucking fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually curious your thoughts on the judge. Cause I, first it's not on your list, obviously. Right. That that movie is like a, a two out of 10 for me. I hate that movie. Okay. But is it because of the lawyer stuff or is it because of the, the Downey manipulative Downey, Downey is okay. God awful. And the humor is really bad too. I mean, it's a movie where like Robert Downey Jr. Is in a courthouse and like turns around and pisses on the dude next to him. It is mm-hmm. very, it is very much a movie that I don't think works tonally even a little bit. I think, I, and I, I like Downey a lot. I think he's often incredible. He's terrible in that movie. He's like, it's like his brain broke and he couldn't like divorce any of the Tony Stark from his performance. It just, he sucks in that movie and tanks. What is, I think a bad manipulative plot of a movie anyway. I, we, we shared a lot of thoughts about the movie, but specifically the, the Duval stuff. I, I do think it brings up the quality of the movie a little bit more, but I mean, look, it's not like I'm saying it's actually a six. It's more like I give it a four solely off the strength of the Duval performance. Yeah, it's probably that, like a th- it's probably like a three or four, and I'm just well, being like the performative, the bath, but like the bathtub sequence is like it's like a real thing that like I'm afraid of one day if I ever have to take care of my parents. You know, that's fair. Like that's that's. The, the the misremembering of things like seeing him slowly lose his mind like the it's done significantly better in the father I, I I'm I'm going off about the judge because I considered putting it on my list but could not because of how poor the movie is um, but it's like a very close honorable mention for me um, I agree with you about the the highs of Robert Duvall being what they are there are some shameful honorable mentions that shameful misses that I have on here the apostle being one of them which from all accounts seems like it's going to be up there for him 
Don't, don't worry. You'll hear about it. <laughs> so we'll get to hear about it soon. I'll go into my five. Um, so my number one, this is where Apocalypse Now gets a little bit of praises. Uh, Colonel Kilgore, um, one of the greatest... One of the greatest war movies ever. I've never like next season. I think we are going to do a war movie and actually debate what the greatest war movies are. And Easy, we haven't done a war movie yet, but yeah, haven't definitely. had. Well, <laughs> this is a very dark, dark reference and dark joke, but I'll say usually we have we go off of things that are current in order to um to pick the movie, and unfortunately we're kind of getting closer to where war may be the thing that we use like in honor of certain war going on we are God, doing a war Jesus Christ. again this is dark but that, that was a yash level that was a yash <laughs> again not endorsing i'm just saying oh well if the <laughs> intro of the movie is since we have now entered world war three it's time to do saving private not playing um uh, apocalypse now is my number one uh i so the the two Tom Hagens are going to be my two and three. I think I go part two where like there's a sequence where he's acting Don um, as my number two over part one, which is my number three. Um, look, the, the, the back and forth I've gone on both of these movies, I think has been an exhausting um, exercise. Uh, I think for this though, I'll go part two at my number two, and then our baby of today, The Godfather, at number three. Um, my number four is where I get to talk about one of my favorite movies ever, and it's Network. Um, I think that he plays. Yeah, we're gonna have Hack similar lists again here. Frank Hackett, the studio head, um, and how this movie basically predicted the reactionary and four ratings only news cycle that we get stuck in um this movie like predicted cable news predicted sports talk radio predicted twitter and like sensationalism replacing journalism um the entire like all the performances in this are great but like the i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take it anymore and how that's not like that's not a thing that's just a feeling and how that became like what we know now as news is like one of the more frustrating things. And like I watched it for the first time in, in, in broadcasting school and noticed all the different changes to what it did to the format of news altogether. And it was like a commentary on the news in 1976. And it easily could come out now and be in commentary. Like there, there are notes and nods to it in don't look up of how like we're yep. just gonna put on things that people will watch regardless of the quality of it or not um so yeah network is my number four he's really great in it the sequence where he fires uh the guy that doesn't want to executive produce the show so he can give uh the show to faye dunaway um is probably the highlight scene that i go to for for duval but when i knew that i could highlight something from network i knew i had to and then Look, I go back and forth with a couple different ones for my number five. I'll go Max Mercy in The Natural. Nobody knows who uh, Redford's character is without the press. This is good journalism talking about an old school baseball player making his way through. Um, so I'll go I'll go the, the newspaper writer in The Natural. Your top five Robert Duvall performances. This is a this is a tough list for me. Um, I just realized I went twice. I went first twice. So you I get to care. go first twice. Through, no, now I do. We have an yeah. order of things, Thanos. Okay. 
Okay. Um, number one, Godfather part two, because I think Tom has a little, a little more to do there. Number mm-hmm. two uh, is a film you just made reference to, and that's the apostle where he plays this sort of um, fuck up drunken mess of a man who is struggling to reconcile the fact that he as a preacher cannot find God. He mm-hmm. t- tries to speak to God and cannot feel it in return. And it creates this um, incredible character portrait of this person grappling with his own significant um, oft violent personal failures as he attempts to it, it, it it's easy to think of this as like a problematic white male movie but i think it's more complex and smarter than that i also think it's kind of funny that uh he's playing a character named sunny huh. <laughs> okay uh mom, north- by the way mom i'm sorry i haven't seen this movie i know for a fact that my parents and their circle have seen this movie so <laughs> Uh, number three is The Godfather. Uh, number four, we go a little off grid here. Uh, are, are, you, are you familiar with the early filmography of George Lucas? Uh, maybe. So I'm, I'm going. I'm going with THX 1138. Which, no, not then. <laughs> which is um, it's George Lucas's first movie. I think Coppola actually produced it. Um, mm-hmm. Duval is the star. It's a dystopian future sci-fi movie um, where everyone is forced to take drugs to suppress their emotions and become kind of these like robot people. I think it's what the QAnon people think is happening with the vaccine. Uh, I think that's the inspiration for it. Uh, So it is a, it is a really, really good performance in a movie that is very interesting. And I'll say that when you watch non-Star Wars George Lucas movies, of which there's really just this in American Graffiti. It's kind of a bummer that he just became the Star Wars guy, made a shitload of money selling fucking toys based on his movies. It makes me kind of sad because there's some real talent in Lucas as a filmmaker, perhaps less so as a writer. And I, I'm, I'm bummed. And it says a lot that his Besties are fucking Coppola and Spielberg and Scorsese. You know, these absolute titans revere George Lucas as one of their own when you think of him as the Star Wars guy. And it's kind of mm-hmm. easy to dismiss him as the Star Wars guy. And frankly, a lot of the stuff that that Marty and Coppola are saying these days would dismiss the modern equivalent of the Star Wars guy as a less than filmmaker. So it, it's it's worth checking out something like this or something like American Graffiti to see that George Lucas is in fact a more talented filmmaker than he gets credit for. Uh, My number five is Network for all the reasons you said. I'm going to jump into an honorable though because you Mm -hmm. covered Network beautifully. I'm going to say The Eagle has landed for an honorable mention. It's a John Sturgis movie with I think uh, Michael Caine and Donald Sutherland are also in it. And it is... (sighs) It is the quintessential movie that could never be made today because evidently our movies, you know, if you depict something, it means you agree with them. But it is about a fictional Nazi plot to assassinate Churchill. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but I'm going to to say that it is fucking crazy that... um, uh, This movie is fucking crazy, actually. I won't won't get into the ending, but uh, there's... A, a, there's a fake out assassination of Churchill in this thing. It, it's really nuts. This thing exists. It's really good though. It's really well acted. It's very exciting. Uh, 
Eagle has landed. Good movie. Worth tracking down. I'll just throw a few names out there. I agree with everything on Apocalypse Now. I think he won the Oscar for Tender Mercies, which is not a movie I care for, but it's a good performance. Shout out Yash uh, Bullet. He's good in... Uh, <laughs> yes. I think he's good in a civil action, which is a movie that I have mixed feelings on, but I think may have showed up on my Travolta honorable mentions as well. And he's got a small but important part in Thank You for Smoking, which he knocks out of the park. And yeah. I think that I just, I really, we, we use that like character actor terminology a lot. I mean, he's, and, and maybe it's being unfair because he's been the lead in a lot of things, but he, he, for me is kind of like peak character actor. I just, I think Duvall's great. Damn. You got to mention the Jason Reitman film this week. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to assume you think thank you for smoking is better than, than uh, Labor Day. Uh, yeah, thank thank you for smoking. Is very comfortably my favorite Brightman movie. Oh, your favorite? Oh mm-hmm. wow! I haven't. That's a that's a pod for the future. Uh, yep. Yeah, that, we'll do that in another time. I'm working for my father now, Kate. He's been sick, very sick. But you're not like him, Michael. I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. That's what you told me. My father's no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. Do you know how naive you sound? Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Who's being naive, Kay? Next up is The Godfather, a top five mob movie. We have done this category before, way back in episode five, when we did Goodfellas. So Oz, my top... Well, no, you get to go first. What were your top five then? What were your top five now? My top five then were Godfather Part 2, Godfather on the Waterfront, Goodfellas, and uh, the, the wild card pick here, Eastern Promises. I don't see any reason to change that. I'm going to I'm gonna keep it that way. I've recently revisited Miller's Crossing, the Cohen movie with mm-hmm. John Turturro, because it came out on the Criterion Collection. And uh, that movie's fucking awesome. It's really good. Uh, I'm still going to keep that as an honorable mention. And Lee Eastern Promises in the five spot. So my top five then were The Godfather Part 1, The Godfather Part 2, Goodfellas, The Departed, and The Irishman. I want to fit the untouchables in here somewhere, but I don't think I can. Cause these, like, even if I think the untouchables might be better than the departed in parts and then the Irishman, I think I'd watch the untouchables more than the Irishman, but I think the Irishman is a better movie. Um, like it doesn't matter to the score for the Godfather. I'm keeping my top three, the exact same part one, part two, Goodfellas. Um, but that's just a little bit of what's going on in my head that I, I recently revisited the untouchables and I think it's, it's pretty freaking great. Um, but I'll, for now I'll stick with the departed for the Irishman at five and you know, it, the, the, so we should, I don't know if we should save this conversation for when we do part two on the pod, but like the differences in mob movie for part one and two, I guess, since we're here for part one, what are the biggest, what, what edges out one over the other for you? For me, it is by a comfortable margin, the De Niro. So arc. it's the De Niro. Ad. Okay. 
I think that De Niro, yeah. I, I just, I think it's one of the finest feats of screen acting ever. And I think he's absolutely incredible. I, I love every moment of the De, Niro, the De Niro arc of Godfather part two. And that that's the difference maker. I think they, they are equally wonderful. Maybe there's even an edge to, to the first one in the, in the America focused storytelling. But, um, I just, I, I love, I love the De Niro arc so much that it makes up for what's lost from one to two in, you know, Brando and Khan, you know, give or take the little cameo. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm going, I'm going, uh, two because of De Niro. Yeah. It's like the, I think both, both orders, I think work on any, on any list. I don't, I think I lean one just for like, I don't want to say the out of respect line again, but like, I think I just go like with, we don't have two without one. And yeah. I, I, I think I go that direction with it. Um, but yeah, it's weird. The it's hard not to watch. Well, okay. You've talked about them being one movie at, at points, not that you consider part one and two one complete story, but do, if you were to put them do you consider them like I have to watch one and then two immediately after as like one complete story? Maybe before I had kids, that yeah, would be a way that yeah, my obviously. that would be a way that my brain worked. I just can't I, I can't process movies that way because it's too it's too hard to think in terms of six hour mm-hmm. commitments. Um I will say I, I think they're better thought of as two movies because the I, I've seen the extendo cut that pieces them together in roughly chronological order. And it's not as good. The tension doesn't work as well. It doesn't feel as satisfying. I think leading it's almost, maybe it's a little bit of too much of a good thing when you put this sort of truncated De Niro story up front, because you kind of want the whole, it it works better in context of the juxtaposition with the Michael story to go back Mm -hmm. to the veto story. I, I think they're best thought of as two movies, even though they're really one complete story. I do think what's very interesting about Godfather part three and the re-release is that Coppola himself wanted to call it the Godfather coda once upon a time. And he also wanted to call it the death of Michael Corleone and he got his wish in, in this, but he as a filmmaker doesn't view it as the third movie of a trilogy. He views it as like a postscript as like a, here's this extra thing that happened. And there are, of course, some cynical financial reasons for why he did the movie, but it's not part of the core to him. And I do think that actually matters, I guess, to because Marvel has taken over everything. That makes it a little bit the Moon Knight or the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. of the um, Godfather cinematic universe. But uh, I, I do think it's an interesting structural choice, the way these movies work, but I, I think they're best thought of as separate. I am very excited when we do because we didn't do this for the Dark Knight, but when we do sequels in the future for the Godfather Part Two category, and like with that, maybe the month that we do T two and then oh, Godfather good, Part Two yeah. back to back to actually fight it out. Next up is the Godfather, a top five Breaking Bad movie, so where a character starts off as a good guy and then becomes a bad guy. So there's like no. The fact that he like comes from the military and we we know him at, like so much of a good guy to then being the head of a crime family at the end. No mistake, it's a bad guy. Um, did you struggle in this category in defining a person has to start off as good and when the point in which they break bad actually begins? 
My struggle with this was that, and and maybe it's a question of phrasing, because I suggested the Breaking Bad phrasing mm-hmm. because I've just gotten Better Call Saul screeners, so it was uh, on my mind. Okay. But um, it's I really think of it as kind of the 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 tragic or criminal rise and fall narrative. So mm-hmm. you know, I I don't think that the Ray Liotta character in Goodfellas is ever really a good guy, but I I'm counting Goodfellas as eligible ah, for this because it's okay. this, it's this sort of criminal rise and tragic fall story. So I think that, you know, all of these things have a little bit of a squidgy uh, definition to them, but I really think it's, you know, the type of movie, I, I it, it didn't make my list, but I like it. A good example of it is kind of the, that movie American made where Tom Cruise plays a pilot who gets deeper and deeper involved in transporting drugs and starts to really enjoy it and loves it and likes all the money and the new lifestyle changes and everything else. That, that to me just feels like the quintessential version of the type of story, you know, I'm getting out with my list here. Okay. Well, I, man, I didn't think of Goodfellas and now I'm looking at my list and wondering. Um, yeah, I, I struggled with this too. There's two honorable mentions that I have out here that we've hinted at that I want you to talk about when we get to it. I'm just teasing that for now that I actually want you to expand upon your thoughts on both of these movies when we get to it. Okay. Um, but for now, Oz, your top five Breaking Bad movies. My number one is The Godfather. I think okay. it, it. a lot of this goes through the lead performance as well. And I think that uh, Pacino is just perfect in the way that he slides into a darker and darker and darker version of himself, culminating in the iconic final shot that echoes the ask at the beginning of the film. It's, it's, just, it's just perfect. Uh, my number two is a little movie we've talked about a few times called The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, which we have the same list again. God damn it. My one and two is also Godfather and Wolf of Wall Street. My number three is the first movie we ever covered on Final Review. No, really? Yes, my number three is the social network. Yes. Fine, I'm cu- I'm cutting social network. I'm no, making- I was fine. having fun. Let's be the social same. network. Yeah. Social network is three. Uh, my number four. Goodfellas, mm-hmm. even though that I, I, miss. That I, I miss. question if it's quite in the genre. And my number five, I was really torn between two very different movies here. I'm going to go with the more fun one and say, catch me if you can, mm. will be my five. I'm leaning into the Leo. I kind of struggled with this category because it just, I feel like I'm missing a bunch. And I've got a whole long list of movies in this ilk as honorable mentions. I just feel like I, I, I'm missing one or two of these that I should be in this category fair um so godfather my number one wolf of wall street my number two the social network my number three um the shining my number four in that uh, i i don't know if he ever actually breaks bad is my point i will leave him alone let him write is i think it's I think it's fair to include, but I I consciously omitted horror because it's kind of mm. a different it's kind of a different element when there's like a haunting that compels it. Again, not a horror movie. It's 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 a <laughs> it's a biopic. <laughs> yeah, the hard the the villains in that movie are his wife and kid. Leave him alone. He's got right. writer's block. Let as him so, as someone who has to write a bunch of shit for my website. Yeah, the as villains are my around wife a wife and kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my number five. Uh, has come up in the past on on movies that we've done. On, we came up during our Dark Knight pod, actually, when we talked about Christopher Nolan movies, and I'm going with The Prestige. 
Oh, okay. um, the levels to which the Hugh Jackman character goes to create the greatest magic trick in the world. I'd say he breaks bad pretty significantly. Maybe not in the traditional sense or the literal sense of like, I'm going to start committing crimes. I'm going to become the head of a mafia game. I'm going to invent Facebook and ruin the world. Um, <laughs> but um, the moral uh, conflict that he faces at the end and the direction that movie goes in what he the the levels to which he stoops in order to achieve applause i think he's officially a bad person by the end of the movie which is why like i had to stretch the rules a bit to make it my number five but i thought it fit for what i consider a a moral um a moral uh loss by the end of that movie so that's my number five so what are your honorables I actually have one honorable I want to stump for, and I kind of wish I had. I kind of wish I had included it. And there's a director that's come up on this podcast, I think twice in the past. Two of his movies. He only got four movies in his career. Something called The Cruise, which I've never seen. Uh, Capote, Moneyball, and oh wow, and a movie that I've been considering a lot lately called Foxcatcher. And Foxcatcher is probably best known for what I think is a very bad Steve Carell leading performance where he's essentially playing um, John DuPont, who's like this billionaire crazy person as like Count Dracula. And I just Mm -hmm. nothing about it works for me. It's like prosthetics over performance. Everything else about this movie is a stone cold masterpiece. And I I think that and this is kind of weird to say, I think that somehow Channing Tatum is like the most underrated actor in the world. I think that Channing Tatum, by the way, Greg Frazier did the cinematography on Foxcatcher, a favorite Mm -hmm. of of ours. Channing Tatum is incredible. I think he is so self-aware of himself, of his looks, of his physicality, both how to embrace that and how to subvert it. I think he's a really, really good actor. And having seen in recent vintage Dog and The Lost City, Uh, you know, within a couple of weeks of one another, those are two really good, very different performances. Dog is this kind of quintessential classic movie star role. And Lost City is this wonderful, like goofball slapstick comic figure. He plays a wrestler, an Olympic hopeful wrestler in Foxcatcher. And the premise of the movie is that this guy, DuPont, who's a fucking crazy person and, you know, obsessed in a vaguely sexual way with, wrestling finances the finances building like a world championship wrestling team. And I don't mean professional wrestling. I mean like Olympic style, freestyle Mm -hmm. and folk style and Greco Roman wrestling and brings in all of these wrestlers to come train. And he's like kind of sort of the coach of the team, but really Mark Ruffalo who plays Dave Schultz, who is a real life uh, Olympic gold medal wrestler trains the team. And Tatum is core of it. And he struggles throughout the film with his ambitions of living up to what his brother, Mark Ruffalo, did as a wrestler and the enjoyment he gets out of like flying around in a helicopter and doing coke with DuPont and going to these like giant galas and everything else. It's a really fascinating character study. And I think that Tatum is just incredibly good. I think Tatum's the best performance in the movie and the only one that wasn't nominated for, I think both Car- uh, Carell and mm-hmm. Ruffalo were nominated Ruffalo, for Oscars. Yeah. And no respect for Tatum, who gave the best performance in the film. I I think it's really good. And I think it really fits this arc of someone giving in to the temptation of a lifestyle where someone who is a good 
like upstanding guy who wanted to win an Olympic medal and eventually becomes like a fuck up cokehead, like grasping for proto MMA, like cash paydays. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful arc. And a, one of, again, I'm, I'm hammering these underrated movies. I think Foxcatcher is fucking great. Foxcatcher is fucking dark. That yeah, like the, really real, nice. the real story too is like, I, I won't say for people who haven't seen it, but it's based off of a real, I mean, it's a real life thing. event. Yeah. And the, the ending of the movie is like super tragic. And you know what it does to the Mark Schultz character and like the the person that Channing Tatum plays in real life. And um, I got, I've seen the 30 for 30 on, on the event too. And the, the movie like uh, dramatizes parts of it, but like it's pretty accurate too, to as far as tonally, like how trapped those two felt under DuPont and yeah. the, the conflicts as Oz, just mentioned um, that Channing Tatum's character is going through. Um, okay. Let me throw quickies. I won't yeah, say anything about them. American made pain and gain, the hoax, the bling ring. I'm the only one who likes this movie, American hustle and a movie that's come up before <laughs> the founder. All oh, the go founder. into my honorable mentions list. Yes. Diabetes for everybody. That is yes. how he broke bad. He created, <laughs> founded, helped found McDonald's and now everybody is fat. Um, okay. So Molly's game is my first honorable mention. Um, I think that's the, the Jessica Chastain now Academy award winner, Jessica Chastain movie about uh, underground poker games. Um, in uh, the literally thing that she, where she breaks bad is that she starts breaking the law in what she was doing. Um, I have to, because it's me venom. Let there be carnage is my break bad. But I think venom is actually the, Honorable is actually the apical one here because um, Eddie Brock becomes Venom. And as much as we want to say that he's like a good guy in that movie, um, I think him break. He has a fucking symbiote attached to him. He is not a good guy, but he becomes he breaks bad and that he's a symbiote attached to him. All right, Oz. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to mention Venom. Let there be carnage. All right. My two other honorables vice. Why don't you you've you've hinted at why you don't like this movie. I just want to hear why you don't like this now. I mean, I just talked about prosthetics over performance. Christian okay. Bale is Christian Bale is terrible in this movie. So it's mostly performance that you don't like, or is like the movie actually, that you don't like? I don't love the movie, but I think they're I, I I'm not as adverse to what McKay is doing as some on the pretentious film Twitter side of the world seem to be. I, I thought Don't Look Up was largely quite effective. And I think that there are elements of vice that are effective. I think there are elements of big short that are, are pretty effective as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't think the bail performance works even a little bit. And okay. I, I, I mean, look, he, he said, and I don't think he was kidding that he, he, when he won the golden globe, he thanked Satan for inspiring his performance. And I think that's truly what inspired his performance. And it speaks a good deal to why I don't like the movie. Cause oh, look, he isn't, don't get me wrong. Dick Cheney's an evil piece of shit. But Dick Cheney is a much savvier operator than like the gnashing villainy of what Bale does with the performance. And I think some of the other folks, I, I think Sam Rockwell is is kind of hilarious as W. And it's just they're in such different movies. I don't think Bale is at the level or tone of everything else that's happening around him. And it it kills the movie for me. OK. And the other one's Joker. Fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. That's all you got. Fuck I, I got I got nothing. I hate that movie. I you hate I, that movie. I okay. genuinely detest that movie. Okay. 
I, I was hoping for more, but I think we got. Do, do you really do you no, really no, want no. a joke around? Because I'll already go. Two, we're already two hours and. I mean, do you want? I know you want to do forty more minutes today? Because no, I no, no. I will okay. start. So I will say this: I did read your letterboxed and was like, "Oh, that's why he hates this movie." And I will. What you mean? All those, all those uh, finance bros who are singing Sondheim on the train because that's how the world works. I would just plug Oz's letterbox if you want to see his actual thoughts on Joker. Um, I don't even know if I have them as honorable mentions. They're just mentions in D- hopes of convert. Yeah, in hopes in hopes of conversation. I don't hate Joker as much as you do. Clearly, um, I don't hate the Bale performance as much as you do. I think Vice's second half goes a little off the rails, and Wikipedia is the Bush administration. Um, not driving the po- point home more so, which I think the whole point of that movie is like, yeah, we've all we've all kind of gone back on on the Bush era with what is happening now with Trump and been like, see, it was never this bad and actually saying, oh, it was still pretty bad. If you really want to look look deeper at it, I don't think he looked deep enough. Anyway, um, those are my honorable mentions. Thank you for playing along. Oz. Of course. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. Wait a minute, Mo. Mo, I get an idea. Tom? Tom, you're the conciliary. Now, you can talk to the Don. You can explain. Just a minute. Don is semi-retired, and Mike is in charge of the family business now. If you have anything to say, say it to Mike. Mike! You don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that! Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Next up is The Godfather, a top five film of 1972. Um, not as much excitement here, but Oz, is The Godfather the number one movie at the box office in 1972? Can you guess them? I know this one. It is. Yes. Yes. It is. Number and one I, movie at the box office. And I believe one of the other top five is going to be a movie called The Poseidon Adventure. Number two. That's I talked about it on the Independence Day pod. It is part of that wave of 70s disaster movies where they got a whole bunch of really big movie stars and killed them off in kind of bland ways. Uh, Towering Inferno and Airport are kind of the two other biggest examples. And Towering Inferno was a Best Picture nominee, which is roughly the equivalent of Armageddon or Independence Day being nominated for Best Picture, which which is both should have. So, (laughs) yes. Can you get the other three? Uh, <laughs> fuck. Um, what have we? What? Uh, Deliverance number five. Yeah, there I, you go. Got one. I I don't I don't fucking know. Well, <laughs> the movie that won all the awards this year, except like Best Picture. Uh, what won all the awards this Cabaret! year? Cabaret, Cabaret, oh, yeah, and yeah. that's not even an option. Number Cabaret's number eight. So oh, I don't fuck. know why I led you down that road. Um. Uh, what else is on my list here? The getaway. I can't. Getaway is number right below the uh, cabaret at number nine. That's a good movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't so know. Something called Fritz the Cat is number three. I'll pretend um, to know what that is for you. And then something else called What's Up Doc is number four. Um, uh, oh, movies yeah. that I'm well versed in. Well, this this should tell you all you need to know when Oz doesn't even know what these movies are. Um, so I, when Oz and I went to go see Morbius and I asked him if he could push our recording date of this pod a couple of days, it's because at time of that conversation, I had seen exactly 
two movies that were um, came out in 1972. One was The Godfather and one was the Wes Craven film Last House on the Left, which didn't even make my honorable mentions because I actually um, don't love that movie as much as others might. Um, so I had to do a little bit of research and digging for this this category in particular. Um, Oz, how well versed in 1972 are you? There's a clear like heavy hitter at, at the top, one of the all time greats. And then what else? From I got to tell you, there, there's a lot of stuff I've seen from this year. And a lot of it is either genre or not American. Mm-hmm. So my list is going to be a little, a little off grid here, but it's not all pretentious art house shit. Like it often is for me. Okay. I, I think it is approachable off the grid stuff. That's making my, my top five. Interesting. Well then let's get into it. Your top five uh, of 1972. My number one is the Godfather. That was easy. My number two is uh, a little movie called The Way of the Dragon, which is the Bruce Lee movie that ends with him fighting Chuck Norris. Uh, that movie. Oh, that sounds awesome! Oh my god, that movie. That movie is fucking awesome. It's one of it's one of the you know Bruce Lee has what five movies or something like that in the U.S. Um, it's really kind of the one that I think led to the later success that we'd get with uh, with um, Enter the Dragon. It's really good. Uh, it's really exciting. It, the action fucking rocks. He had two. I think he also had Fist of Fury is 72, which isn't as good as Way of the Dragon, but Way of the Dragon, good shit. Mm-hmm. My number three, you've never heard of, I bet. Have you heard of Lone Wolf and Cub? No. Okay. So Lone Wolf and Cub is a series. It's based on like mangas or something like that. It's a series of six movies. And it is about a disgraced samurai who goes on totally badass adventures in the Japanese countryside while rolling around a cart with a baby in it. And you may recognize this pitch because this is the inspiration for the Mandalorian. Wow. Okay. There are two of them, the fur in 72, at least there's, they're all in very close proximity to one another. Uh, They're all in the criterion collection. Um, I, I think the second film in the series, it's called Baby Cart at the River Sticks, which is just, it gives you an idea of how nuts and over the top this is. This is the shit that like Tarantino watches and is like, oh my God, my mind is open. This is why I want to make Kill Bill. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Baby Cart at the River Sticks, which is the most batshit of the series, but Sword of Vengeance is the first one. And that's also in 72. So pick either of those for my number three, but that's where Mando comes from. And that's where so much of badass, like uh, samurai, like modern samurai storytelling comes from Four, we've already mentioned it. I was kind of going to leave it off, but I can't to put on more fun stuff this time, but I'm going to leave last tango in Paris at four. Mm -hmm. And my number five uh, is going to be the Poseidon adventure, which I understand is probably a bad movie in a lot of ways, but I love it very much. It's Hmm. one that I loved as a kid. I even liked the very bad Wolfgang Peterson remake that was just called Poseidon from like 15 years ago. So I'm going with Poseidon Adventure 5. I have lots of weird shit on my honorable mention list too. So Godfather is my number one. Um, One of the more important movies that's ever been released. And the fact that it gets to 1972 just happens to be the year that the, like the world changed because we got the Godfather in our lives. Um, I'm going with deliverance at number two. 
And here's why, because I went to school in the South and <laughs> holy shit, does this have all of the trauma that I felt like the first time I saw a Confederate flag, the first time I realized that certain people believe certain things. And this is like the extreme that like, if you go in the woods and go hiking that you may not return and, but you might hear banjos at some point and it might Bada freak mama, you. Mama, mama. Yeah. And uh, you, you may have to, you know, fight off the, the potential for your pants to come down. Um, but that's just, you know, the, there, there is a much milder fear that is much more realistic that this film absolutely nails. Yeah, it um, hits my Texas Chainsaw Massacre place. I'm right. Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, I'll go deliverance number two. Um, I'm going cabaret number three. Gotta admit, haven't seen all of it, saw enough to realize, oh yeah, this is this is a musical that of course everybody loved this in 1972. We will talk about how decorated this movie is in a Exactly two categories. And then not that far off. I'll go uh, the Poseidon Adventure and Last Tango in Paris as my last two. Um, and that's it. So, Oz, we can't go back and forth this week. What are some of your honorable mentions from 1972? Uh, the Getaway, which is kind of like a core Steve McQueen action thriller. Uh, mm -hmm. Last House on the Left, I do like. Mm -hmm. uh, Solaris, the Tarkovsky sci-fi movie. Uh, Deliverance would be on my list. Roma, this is the Fellini Roma, not the Corone Roma. Uh, Fists of Fury, which is another Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. uh, the Heartbreak Kid, which is the inspiration for the later Ben Stiller Heartbreak Kid about, mm -hmm. you know, like a fuck-up guy who treats women like shit, but it's pretty funny. Um... King of Morgan Gardens. I can go really pretentious and say the discreet charms of the bourgeoisie, sleuth, cabaret. And one that I want to mention because it's an interesting uh I don't I don't know what to make of it, is Deep Throat. And Deep Throat is the famous quasi-mainstream Linda Lovelace porno movie. And I kind of don't know what to make of it because uh, there are many quibbles to be had from a filmmaking perspective, but it shows the tension of pornography grappling with mainstream acceptance and how uh, how people engage with sexuality. And the fact that that a respectable pornographic movie, was in the top 10 at the box office for the year and carries this sort of historical footprint. And I understand in hindsight, the making of the film was, I, I think, extraordinarily problematic, but it's a very important movie. And we still see grappling with this stuff all the time now. It's a little odd when you think about it that just take like the Spirit Awards that we gave two Spirit Awards this year to people playing sex workers in movies and yet are, you know, sex work is largely and massively stigmatized through much of society. Yet there remains a, a major fascination about it. There's a, a movie coming out in May that we're going to be covering extensively at the invention of dreams with a special guest contributor who is very famous. And um, it's called Pleasure. It's about a girl who moves from Sweden to Hollywood to become a porn star. And it's quite a good movie. I saw it about a year ago at Sundance. And I think it, you know, Deep Throat is in a long conversation with what movies like that are doing as we as a society kind of grapple with, you know, how we feel about sexuality, the openness of sexuality and of sex work as a profession. Also, Red Rocket was on my top 10 last year, which is right <laughs> in this wheelhouse. So. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, next up, we'll just do this real quick because I'm pretty sure it's going to place for both of us. Is The Godfather a top five movie of the 1970s? Um, I'll go first. It's my number three. Uh, I've already revealed that my number five is Alien. Mm-hmm. And now I will add to the mix that my number two is The Godfather. Oh, wow. You could perhaps figure out what my number one is for the 70s based on mm-hmm. how a couple of the categories went today. Yeah, I'm thinking cinematic universe here for, <laughs> for Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I think you can figure out, judging by my tastes, um, what's my one and two then? Also. Perhaps one was mentioned earlier today. Maybe, maybe, maybe we... Yeah, you you fit, you know it. That's just all I'm going to say. You know it. Um, actually, can I out my number three? Because I don't think we're going to do it at least yeah, until sure. like season six. Um, my number three for the 70s is The Conversation. So is I'm, really? I'm, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm all in on this run of Coppola movies. And uh, yeah, so we, we've I've now revealed four out of my five top 70s movies. So now I'm curious. What are your what's your favorite directors? Like top three. I know I just threw like a monumental question at you, but you just said that your favorite three movies from a decade are by the same person. The problem, the reason it's not Coppola and it's probably, it's probably Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to pick one, it might actually be Spielberg because he's of, of the joy he's given me. It could be Kurosawa um, because I look, Kurosawa is awesome. Kurosawa is not like some pretentious art house, French new wave shit that um, I should be dunked on for. Uh, a Coppola misses because I just think it's four absolute bangers. And then a lot of stuff that is just not anywhere near as good. Marty has like, I, I what did we, what did I have? 19 movies on my honorable mention list mm-hmm. for Marty. Everything he's ever done is a fucking banger. I just threw on part of the last waltz the other day and it's awesome. Everything he touches is gold. So, you know, he, he's going to win, but look, this, this is why I said Koufax. Koufax had the best six years in baseball history. I, I think that, I think Coppola had the best, you know, decade in filmmaking history. Interesting. Huh, good to know. I'm sure our listeners that understand your your knowledge and expertise would at least I even was even curious, like, does Coppola rank higher than Marty or, or even Spielberg? But listen, like you said, this this stretch is pretty unassailable. Barzini's dead. So is Philip Tatalia. Mo Green. Stracci. Cuneo. Today I settle all family business, so don't tell me you're innocent, Carlo. Admit what you did. Get him a drink. Come on. Don't be afraid, Carlo. Come on. You think I make my sister a widow? I'm godfather to your son, Carlo. Go ahead, drink. Drink. No, Carlo, you're out of the family business. That's your punishment. You're finished. I'm putting you on a plane to Vegas. Tom, I want you to stay there. You understand? Uh-huh. Only don't tell me you're innocent because it insults my intelligence. Last but not least, is the Godfather top five best picture winner so at the 45th academy awards awards in 1973 there got that whole sentence out um the godfather won best picture it also won best actor it also won best screenplay another movie cabaret was nominated 
for uh, 10 films at the Academy Awards and won eight, which is the most for a movie to not win Best Picture. It won eight, eight wins and didn't win Best Picture. One director won actress won won a lot of the the uh, below the line awards as well um but best actress and best supporting actor for joel gray who won it over get this joel gray won best supporting actor over james con robert duvall and al pacino for best they, supporting they actor. split the votes yes yes most likely um so best actor marlon brando wins for the godfather you mentioned this during our a recap of the 94th Academy Awards. He declined the award and sent Sashin Littlefeather, who was an activist uh, for the Native American community. Um, I, You probably know more details than I do about this specific incident. Or we we're saying incident, but like this happening at the Academy Awards. If you want to expand, go ahead. Well, he, he sent her in his stead because he was uh, perturbed by the treatment of native peoples. And he's look for as problematic and difficult and kind of an asshole as he was, he's extraordinarily passionate about a lot of causes. I think he's kind of like a, a massively upmarket version of Sean Penn in that way. Mm -hmm. And to give a modern comparison, and this made a lot of the, the shitty people at the Oscars very mad. And she was booed by the majority of the crowd when she went up to get his, Oscar and um, I, I think it was like Clint Eastwood was was very angry about this. John Wayne like wanted to fight her and had to be escorted out of the Oscars. So you know it, I I don't I don't want to have to mention a certain someone and a certain thing that has dominated popular culture for the last week and a half. But uh, I think that's probably the craziest Oscar moment ever. Yeah, like I, I saw some lists comparing the one that just most recently happened. Um, to that um and also comparing it to the james cameron i'm the king of the world let's just be clear two completely different stratospheres james cameron quoting leo in in titanic sashi and little feather getting booed off stage by the, yeah. the voting body of the academy in 1972 um but yeah he did Technically, he won and then declined the award. It's like Reggie Bush. He had his Heisman taken away, except he gave it back instead, you know? Um, okay. So one of the weird years where the Oscars like got it right as far as best picture winner, but like as far as most decorated movie of the night, maybe not so much. Like Cabaret is not like terrible. Um, we have done this twice already as far as best picture winners are concerned. Um I think I know where you're going. Let's just recap what we've mentioned so far. Silence of the Lambs placed for you, right? Fourth. Fourth. Okay. Titanic did not. No. Okay. So Silence of the Lambs is my number three. Titanic is my number four. Oz, your top five best picture winners. I'm going to go five to one here. Uh, Five, Casablanca. Mm -hmm. Four, Silence of the Lambs. Three, On the Waterfront. Two, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I'm mm. sorry. Love it. I understand why this is a fanboy nerd pick. It is I'm going with it. And number one, I'm fucking cheating and I cannot pick between them. <laughs> it is it is The Godfather and, it. and The Godfather Part 2. I it, It's not going to impact the score because I'm picking Godfather if I have to because I think it's a more important best picture winner even if I prefer Godfather Part 2 as a film. So uh, Godfather, my best best picture winner and i have I'm some al- fun fun alternates 
So I'm also going to do this because you're doing it and make that my number one, um, which then, oh, I got to redo my list then. Okay. So then, okay. Those actually works out. So I had Godfather one, Godfather part two, two, and then Silence of the Lambs three, Titanic four, which then lets me honor something else. I'll move No Country for Old Men up to number two and have the two Godfathers be my number one. And it lets me put spotlight at number five, which is very appropriate. I think it it is like it it honors me the most as far as representing what my my tastes are. So those would be my top five. Again, it doesn't affect score. Um, so yeah, okay, we're in agreement on our top fives. Honorable mentions for best picture winners. Uh, I'll throw all about Eve, Parasite, The French Connection. Mm-hmm. Lawrence of Arabia, The Sting, and No Country for Old Men as just a few of the times that I think they either got it right or at the very least picked an excellent movie that is a you know fair representation of a year. I, I, I There are other movies I like that have won. There are certainly movies I dislike that have won. I thought about throwing Coda in just for fun because it makes I was me happy, but, yeah. but no, Coda is not in this level. I'm sorry. Like, Coda is just not No Country for Old Men as much as um, I love it. But uh, yeah, this is this. These are these are really really fucking good movies. So ones you didn't say, because um, I also have Parasite in there as well. Return of the King, um, more out of respect to be honest. But I've talked about my complicated feelings with that trilogy. It's just like I I obviously know it's great. I I that that one day a year that I dive into it and then I leave and then never and don't come back again for another year. Um, I will throw Moonlight in there as my. Oh other. yeah, Moonlight totally, totally belongs on my honorable mention. Yeah, list. big. That's very high up. In fact, I could, I could replace that at number five with Spotlight. I think that would be my number six right there with Parasite. Um, I The Departed. I know we have mixed feelings about it. I, I like The Departed. Well, I, just... I don't like. I don't like that it's like the movie of Marty's that one best picture and that's it. Um, yeah, that's how I, I feel will... about. Robert Duvall winning for Tender Mercies or Pacino winning for Scent of a Woman. Right. So or is, Jessica Chastain winning for, for Eyes of Tammy Faye. We're going to talk about this in our next step on our finale. 2006 is an interesting year is, is what I'll say. Um, but yeah, I, I do quite love it. Um, Gladiator is another one I'll mention. Um, we talked about that a lot when we did Ridley Scott. Um, I, I, listen, there's some other stuff. The Shape of what? No, I'm kidding. Um, I like Shape of Water. I know you do. Um, I there's fucking in that movie. <laughs> there is. There you go. Uh, I think that that's enough for now, as far as honorable mentions. I've I've talked to you about how like I have a limited in the best picture winners category. Um, but you know, summer projects can be summer projects. Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? Don't ask me about my business. No. I- All right. This one time, this one time, I let you ask me about my affairs. Is it true? I guess we both need a drink, huh? Okay, guys, let's wrap this bad baby up. Your your final review score. It's actually a pretty fucking high score. Final score of The Godfather. So uh, Coppola, 
four points, Brando three, Pacino five, Khan three, Duval three, Mob Movies four, Breaking Bad Plots five, 1972 five, 1970s four, Best Picture five, uh, leading to an overall score of a 41. Wow. And that that makes it, I believe, tied for my, I think it's tied for my second highest score with Raiders. So that is a fucking killer. Um, I will say that it is hurt because in uh, four, five, in five categories, could that be right? Wow. Yeah. In five categories, Godfather 2 beat it. So there's a a case that it's actually more like a 46 if we ignored Godfather Part 2. And I'll say for fun, I scored Godfather Part 2 just based on how it scored (laughs) in this episode. Yeah, which wasn't its episode, just as like collateral, and five for Coppola, none for Brando, four for Pacino, none for Khan, five for Duvall, five for Mob, doesn't count for Breaking Bad, doesn't count for seventy two, five for seventies, five for Best Picture, a twenty nine for Godfather Part Two, when it had three, four categories, it was not eligible for. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so these are these are the two two of the best movies ever made, very very Listen. easily for me. Part two is going to be in season two. Don't worry. Um, for my score, Coppola uh, gets four points. For Brando, it's my number one, so it gets five points. For Pacino, it's my number two, so it gets four points. For James Caan, it's my number two, so it gets four points. For Duval, it's my number three, so it gets three points. For Mob Movies, it's my number one, so it gets five. For Breaking Bad Movies, it's my number one, so it gets five. For 72, it gets five. For the 1970s, it's my number two, so it gets... um, It's my number three, so it gets three points. And for Best Picture Winners, it's also my number one, so it gets five that gives me a final score of 43. Um, what, what was I saying about our scores being yeah. too low? <laughs> no, that, that, look, we, we've figured it out that it, it is nearly impossible with the way this game works for a movie to score more than a 44 or so. Um, yeah, that is who, who boy, I, I, it's hard to imagine things beating that, you know, maybe if you'd seen thief, maybe it would lose a point there or something <laughs> like that. But look, this is our scores reflect that we both passionately love love this movie. And if Godfather Part Two didn't exist, this would have been a forty six, which I think is I think the expression is a zero limit bound, the you know about the highest score possible without you know ignoring the reality of some of the categories. So this this is just a fucking masterpiece. I got to be honest, I've had some hesitations in the last few weeks of like, damn, is our formula broken? Like, nope. Is it is it like one of the have we like diluted the score too much the way that the way that some advanced stats have diluted sports in a way? Um, but no, this is I was worried going in. We'd both be like at a 32, 33. And then here we are both in the 40s. My highest. I think this is my highest score ever. I think it's your highest score. And that feels appropriate. The Godfather has the highest score ever in a pantheon. You know, yeah, that feels right. Totally and on board. And even more so, like there are places, like you said, where we put two above it, which he told me it's it, those are the top two greatest movies ever. That to my taste, like, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I just I just called two the best movie of the seventies. Yeah, the best movie of all of these legends' careers, the best best picture winner ever. And gun to my head, I'm taking two over one. So uh, you know, I think two is probably my greatest movie ever. It may not be my. I think 
before sunrise remains my favorite, but I think Godfather part two is the greatest movie ever. And I think Godfather is like 99% as good as Godfather part two. So this, this worked out exactly where I think it should. I, I'm glad we got involved in the family business today. Uh, (laughs) This was, this was good. Um, Do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? As always come to the adventure dreams.com. We, set our monthly record for March. Uh, I will say I interviewed Academy Award winning actor Jim Broadbent this week. That'll It won't be up until later in April for the movie The Duke. What a nice guy. You probably know him as Professor Slughorn in Harry Potter and a whole bunch of things, but uh, that was a really cool experience. So come watch that interview later this month and come read all the fun stuff we'll be doing on Moon Knight and Ambulance <laughs> and Fantastic Beasts and I think I'm seeing Sonic tonight and Sonic and all this stuff. So um, you can check me out on all my social medias as well um, where I've plugged it. I'm going to assume you've already gone to my social medias if you're listening at this point in the show. And then I'll just say, I think I'm going to have time to get this pot out either tonight or tomorrow. Um, just if you're with me on social media, stay tuned this weekend for maybe a little life update. And that's, that's just all I'm going to say for now. Um, Oz, thank you. As always, my friend, um, you are you are the consigliere to my Don. If in certain <laughs> circles, I think I should be the consigliere. I'm the consigliere to your Don in certain ways. Um, thank you, as always. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And tune in next time for the season finale of Final Review. you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.